32 games in and your top six hopes dangling by the proverbial ball here? Thankfully, this episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who offer the very best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, the Performance Package 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ABZ Podcast. At manscaped.com. And it's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 38 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week is Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? I'm well, thank you. I did not spend my Saturday in one of the few pubs in Scotland that only serves tenants, so I'm very good. We'll get onto that in a minute. And fresh from the Orange Lodge, Bucky, <laughs> it's Graham Steele. Graham, how are you? Fine, thank you. I would you put that in some context a little bit, don't you? Yeah, for the absolute of winter doubt, I was not in a lodge that was orange or any other colour. I just <laughs> I just happened to take in the game at Victoria Park. And uh, after going for some refreshments after some absolute nugget, put simply the best on the jukebox, almost threw up my pint. Speaking of really throwing up a pint, Gav, you've already referenced it. The Hill Bar, Dundee, I think the only pub in Scotland that now only serves tenants on tap. What an absolute disaster of an afternoon out from my perspective I didn't even dare to ask the question if they had any craft beer on tap for fear of being well glassed I imagine <laughs> a scene out of train spotting but anyway in a week that saw Scotland land themselves a world cup draw that's about as favorable as it possibly could be when we've still yet to qualify no doubt leading to the ultimate in here's what you could have won come December a week that saw Cody Rhodes make the least surprising return since Ash Taylor and saw the WWE finally get round to inducting Charlie Nicholas into their Hall of Fame. It's another busy ABZ football podcast as we cast our eyes back over the disappointing Desmond at Dens Park, which leaves our top six hopes well and truly out of our hands. We check in on the women's team and their 2-0 defeat against Celtic in the Scottish Cup. We'll take our regular look at the young team and loan watch, and we preview next week's final game of the regular season at home to Mad Racist, Malky McKay's Dross County. And we'll round things off this week with a man who was one of Craig Brown's first signings, going on to make 59 appearances in red, scoring two goals in the process, and who was part of the Sutton United side that narrowly lost the Papa John's Trophy final at Wembley on Sunday. It's Rob Milsom. Got to say, those are some niche references you've come up with in the uh, intro there. <laughs> but first... Dundee 2, Aberdeen 2, Dens Park, SPFL Premiership, the 2nd of April 2022. The Dons travelling to Dens Park for the second time this season in what was billed as a must-win game for both sides. Manager Jim Goodwin naming an unchanged starting lineup after the 3-1 win over Hibs. Last time out, bench bolstered further with the likes of Jack McKenzie, Funzo, King Ojo, 
and Jack Millen. A vocal travelling support was soon quelled as Dundee made the brighter start to the game. Elliot's cross at the opening minute, evading everyone as it flashed across the six-yard box. And Conor McLennan did well a nod across behind for a corner just a minute later. The Dons did begin to get a foothold in the game, though. A decent effort from Barron flashing over the bar before Aberdeen went agonisingly close to the opener. Conor McLennan darting infield, and he unleashed a brilliant swerving effort from about 30 yards that had Lawler beaten all ends up. But smashed off the bar and was cleared by Dundee for a corner. Bates going close from the resulting corner. His header spectacularly saved by Lawler. Declan Gallagher did well to intercept a neat cutback from Elliott at the other end. And Mullen failed to connect with his follow-up as the game began to open up. Ramsey going close on 35 minutes after being released by Barron. Darting upfield and cutting inside, his 25-yard effort was scrambled aside by Lawler. The Dons keeping the ball alive and Ramirez's effort knocked off the goal line by Elliott. The Dons, though, finally got the breakthrough on 41 minutes. McCrory playing the ball out wide to Ramsey and in a carbon copy of his run from just five minutes earlier, he cut inside before unleashing a fine left-footed effort low into the near post beyond Lawler. The Dons, a goal to the good and looking well on top as the halftime whistle went. Second half started just as the first had ended. The Dons with large chunks of possession, looking comfortable, waiting for the home side to try and force the issue. Watkins brought on for McLennan on 57 minutes. Charlie Adam, boo. Coming on for the hosts to replace Elliot, and it was the home side who benefited from those changes quickest. John Brother beaten somehow missing Adam's two flailing arms in Lewis Ferguson's face, leading to Declan Gallagher eventually bringing down Jordan Marshall and finding his way into Beaton's little black book. And from the resulting free kick, the gap-toothed, slack-jawed cretin floated a ball towards the back stick. Lewis Ferguson losing McGee, not that McGee, who nodded in from close range to level the game up. Calvin Ramsey withdrawn in 77 minutes, replaced by McKenzie. And the Dons made a number of tactical switches with McCrory moving to right back. And the Dons lining up in something that looked a bit like a 4-1-4-1 slash 4 2 4 Formation with Bejauin and Hayes encouraged to push up the wings to support Watkins and Ramirez. Eventually, it paid off for the men in red. Watkins glancing on a Hayes ball into the box and the ball fell kindly to the McCrory, whose first touch was superb, allowing him to drive into the box before slotting a fine right-footed effort into the bottom corner, sending the way support bananas with just nine minutes remaining. But it's Aberdeen, isn't it? Marley Watkins giving away a daffy kick, 40 yards will go. And the aforementioned gap-toothed moron, Charlie Adam, buying one off of beating him from the resulting free kick. He looped one into the box, Danny Mullen evading Lewis Ferguson, snuck in ahead of Joe Lewis, who was caught in absolute no-man's land. Mullen's death touch enough to level things up, and that's how it stayed. The Don's done in by some desperate defending when it mattered. The Don's sitting neatly in the top six with our season very much in our own hands with five minutes to go. But that goal from Mullen consigns the Dons into next week's game with Dross County sitting in ninth spot. A route to the top six still very much alive, but relying on Hibs Hibsing it against Hearts at Tynecastle. Gents. Well, if, you, if you need something to, uh, if you need to rely on something, Hibs Hibsing it is pretty much as sure as you can get. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, thoughts, gents? I think my first thought is can Graham confirm whether or not John Beaton was in the same pub that he was in and whether he was one that put to us simply the best on the jukebox. Absolute shambles of the decision, isn't it? Which one? There were a number of them yesterday. Well, we'll start with uh, the first one leading to the free kick. Ah, just... I mean, it's it's the thing. I mean, Goodwin talked about it 
after the game, and I think we would all say it, it's ludicrous. I mean, Beaton's like got a completely unimpeded view of the incident. How he doesn't give that as a free kick the other way. I mean, I don't, is it, you know, I saw people saying it should be a red card. I, I'm not so sure that yeah. personally. It's a free kick. I, I, can't, I won't accept anyone disagreeing with that. I'm not so sure. A red card, yeah, you, I wouldn't have been disappointed if it had been sent off, but if it was the other way around, I'm not so sure I'd be able to say if one of our players got sent off or something like that, that, yeah, you know, definite red card, he deserved to go. But it absolutely is a foul. There's just no denying that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the, the important thing is, as Goodwin points out, we just don't defend the set piece. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is the most frustrating thing because, I mean, that's just all season, isn't it? I don't know. Obviously, they do practice and they do train, but you sometimes wonder what the hell do they actually... What, what do they do in the training sessions? Because working as a defensive unit does not appear to be part of that because they might have just daft, really, really basic goals we can see, especially in situations where sometimes we maybe have played quite well or we've battled to get ourselves you know, back into a game or ahead. And you almost know that once we score, right, it's a five, ten minute period where we're probably just going to chuck one in right back to square one. And that's just kind of how, how it went. I've been on record saying, you know, I reckon the players are decent. I reckon the defenders are good and it's just not quite happening. But every week that goes by, it's just harder and harder to just take up for some of these guys. Yeah, I don't think that's too far away from the truth, Gav. Not the notebook's out. Notebook's out. Jim Goodwin's record. He's become the one, two, three kid. <laughs> one win, two losses, three draws uh, to date. I thought this was probably most his, his most inauspicious performance since he started, but Connor Barron was still good. Um, showed a lot of intelligence and awareness when he got on the ball. Very positive performance. Uh, Dundee are not very good. I've got that written down. Dundee are garbage. I, I know that Tom Walt had this exact language with us after the game in October. They are fucking terrible. I mean, I enjoyed watching it on... On the stream, their insistence on just shelling the ball to Zach Grodden against our two giant centre-backs. That was good fun. Uh, two good goals from Aberdeen. Um, yep. As I think we'd all agree. Atrocious defending, as Graham's just uh, as Graham's just mentioned. The kind of thing that you just can't get your head around how we continue to shoot ourselves in the foot and snatch what basically feels like defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, I have it written down here. Charlie Adam is a fud. Uh, and also, finally, praise the Lord for healing Vicente Bajowan just in time so we can celebrate <laughs> our second goal. It was some recovery, wasn't it? I mean, it's one of those, like... It's amazing what adrenaline can do to you. Very good, very good, I like it. Is it Immobile in the Euros? Yeah, it he goes down, claiming <laughs> yeah. for the penalty, and then they score, and yeah, gave me that energy. Loved it. Loved I mean... It. It is that thing is that like don't want to really see it, but at the same time, it was really, really funny. And I'll happily take it every day of the week. Um it, I think the most frustrating thing about the game yesterday again is that well, A, there's 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 a couple of things to bring out this. One, Jim Goodwin's insistence after the first week being here that sorting the defense out would be easy is looking a more daft and daft statement as the weeks go by. Yeah, it's almost like there's a man who'd never watched Aberdeen. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to bring this up as well, though. I was, I was, I hadn't really realised how, um, how how bad St Mirren's recent run of form had actually been. Um, obviously, they conceded four at Motherwell yesterday. And going back and looking at St Mirren's statistics for the season, 
it's not as though they were a particularly solid outfit, which kind of does bring into question again. Just some, I mean, I'm not sitting here right now saying Jim Goodwin needs to go. That's not where I'm at, just for the points about. But there is that bit where you kind of go, St Mirren's season has been very much made to look a lot better because of that purple run of form they went on just after the winter break. Going into Christmas, St Mirren were hopeless. And since Goodwin's kind of left, they've kind of reverted back to that. And it's like that moment you go, has he picked up the gig at Aberdeen here based on what would appear to be a, a relative fluke of a run of fixtures for St Mirren this season? Well, I think we've all said that... Um... You know, from my point of view, I, I should say, like, I'm absolutely like you. This is way too early to be saying, ah, you know, Goodwin out, all the rest of that. I'm absolutely not going there. But what I am saying is what I've said before. It was an uninspiring choice. It's not particularly exciting. I don't see what he's done to get the gig. And we've all said this, and, you know, Kenny's been on a couple of times saying, can't quite figure it out either, because, yeah, they were right in the, they were right in the mire. That sort of period where Glass was really struggling, you know, when we lost to Dundee away yeah. the first time out in October. And yeah, his record this season is below average. It's it's not great. I, I don't see how it gets him the Aberdeen job. No. Clearly that short period of time where they were playing well and they were getting results presumably has influenced someone, but I'm not I'm not really seeing um I'm not really seeing it so far. No, and like I say, it's not a this is for the voice of the again, I I feel I have to say this because somebody will call us out on this on Twitter. This is not a saying good one out. I'm not getting my bed sheets ready. No, I think he's got a he's got a tough job to yeah. do with you know getting guys organized and presumably shifting some guys on. Now that job is maybe a little bit tougher than I actually thought it was going to be because it, it just looks like as we as we limp towards the end of the season, some of these guys that I've been saying oh, I think they're good enough. It's difficult to say that that's the case when you get to 38 games and it doesn't really matter where we finish up, it's going to be a terrible season. Yeah. So some of these guys just clearly aren't good enough and it's going to take the manager and everyone else associated with the club quite a lot of time. Like we mentioned before, it's not just a, it's not a summer transfer window fix, is it? Because we're not going to have no. £10 million pounds to just send everyone home and get um, get some new guys in. So there's a lot of work to be done if we don't end up just bumping around the mid, mid-table for the next couple of years. There's a fragility, uh, a frailness about the team that... It's going to take more than six games or, you know, the remaining six games for Jim Goodwin to fix for sure. Um, I just think that it's just that thing we just see all together. I actually think on the whole, we defended pretty well. I was just about to say this. When you dis- when you discount the two free kicks and that's obviously, you know, doesn't really matter. That's the Craig Brown adage of, well, the keeper didn't have a save to make apart from the three that went in the back of the net. Yeah. but And, you know, I, I think... I said after on Twitter afterwards that we were the better team and I believe that and we should have won the game. But you can't consider yourself unlucky when you don't defend set pieces in the way we did. But yeah, I think there's just something's been allowed within the squad and within the club this season where mistakes have just been not called out. That's the way I feel. And yeah, Jim Goodwin's got is gonna need a summer at the bare minimum to to correct that mentality. I think he probably needs more than one summer, to be fair. Graham's right. It's not like we've got a, a bottomless pit of cash that we can just ship a load of guys out and bring in a bunch of guys. I mean, the one thing I would say is I th- there's going to be a lot of wages freed up in this summer's window. If you consider, well, Scott Brown's obviously already away. From what we understand, Dylan McGee has been told he is no longer going to be, or he won't be offered a new contract. 
I think it's probably clear to see now that Ojo won't be offered a new contract. I believe there was some chat in the press midweek. Yeah, that, yeah those two have been told that they're uh, surplus. Yeah. So, you know, we, we know we know Ojo's on a big deal. Um, McGee won't have come here on the cheap either. He was at Sunderland at the time, given a two and a half year deal by like Dell. He wouldn't have come here cheap. And, and Dell was after him for so long that I imagine he paid a, a decent fee to get him here. So, I mean, that's two big wages that, that won't be here. Um, there's also going to be big question marks, I think, about the likes of probably Christian Ramirez, to be fair. Um, I, I don't know whether he will be here or not. I imagine Jets on a relatively decent wedge. I'm just surmising uh, whether he gets shipped out. Who knows? There's going to be some decent money, I'd imagine, floating around in terms of just wages to 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 try and sort things out. But Gav, you're right. On the whole, actually, yesterday I felt in in open play, I felt we defended fairly well. Dundee didn't really pose us too many hard questions you're right they, they spent most of the game shelling the ball at the park which I don't really blame them because the pitch is I was going to say a tatty field but that would be insulting to tatty fields um, it was a terrible pitch so I can kind of understand why they decided they were just going to play direct and get up the park um, Declan Gallagher I, I said to um, Chris who was at the game with at half time I feel like I'm saying this every week now I felt that, that was almost Declan Gallagher's best 45 minutes on an Aberdeen shirt I felt he was improving I felt he was making interceptions at the right times. He he was key in an interception. Uh, I think it was just before we scored, I think. It was a good cutback, came in, and if he doesn't get a foot on it, it's pretty much an open goal for, I think it was Mullen, potentially, um, or maybe Rudden, but it, it then falls to Mullen in the end. I didn't feel we were really threatened in open play, and it, it's the two set pieces. And I'm sorry, like I've seen people today calling out Bates and Gallagher on the set pieces and almost indicating that they were to blame for it. I, I, I'm sorry, I fundamentally disagree with that. It was Lewis Ferguson's man both times on the goal who who ends up scoring. Um, he loses McGee for the first one. I don't think you can look at anyone else other than Ferguson for that first one. Um, the second one, again, Ferguson loses Mullen. It's his man. I've seen people as well slating Lewis for this about the fact Lewis isn't strong enough and isn't coming out and dealing with it. And I kind of see that to an extent, but at the same time, I think as a goalkeeper, that's a very, very difficult set piece to deal with because Adams played it as much as I loathe the man. There's absolutely no doubting the fact that if you give him a set piece, he can be very, very threatening from it. And he's put it in pretty much the ideal, the ideal place. It's very difficult for Lewis to come and get that cleanly he's caught an absolute no man's land that he's just not helped out by his by his defensive line in front of him yeah would um would tend to agree i would think maybe you could, it's, it's a hard one to say without having any expertise in goalkeeping but if he's a little bit further back maybe he has a chance of saving the ball it's just you understand why he's where he is because he wants to if adam puts more height on it then he can come and claim it yeah exactly but um you know the way it is and yeah whether it's ferguson or bates you know just they're both stood there it's Ferguson's, man. It's, it's Ferguson's man. You watch it when the ball, when the ball gets floated down, Ferguson's the guy standing next to Mullen. It's just people not doing their jobs, isn't it? It's too easy yeah. to point and like blame individual. It's just it's a constant theme, and you know, uh, absolutely, it's, it's, yeah. It's, that's just it's just the thing. It's just like we don't feel like we're getting, like Graham said, I don't feel like we. Just, it doesn't feel like we get coached, yeah, in how to defend certain situations, and they just keep coming back up again. And you wonder what the hell is going on and. 
what kind of analysis are we actually doing at the club? You're absolutely right, though, about the Lewis thing. There. It's like, if he stays in his line, for example, and the boy has a free header from, what was he, about six or seven yards out, and he puts it past him, people will be complaining about the fact he's not come. Right? So he's, he's too to his spot, to his line. And I guess from his perspective, if he comes too far in that scenario there, he runs the risk of the boy nodding into an empty net, basically. It's it's a really difficult one, I think, for a goalkeeper. I've seen a lot of people talk about like the lack of like commanding the box and stuff, and I, I do feel there is an element of that with Julius's game this season, um, and maybe the last couple of seasons. I don't feel he's commanding his box in the same way that he did when he first came to the club. But I'm not entirely sure I can really point too many fingers at him for the goals yesterday. I think well, obviously everyone has a part to play if you concede a goal, but I think in those situations he's entitled to expect better from his teammates and actually you know block the runner or make it difficult for him that sort of thing because I think he's, he's definitely not been as commanding as he has been feel like he's probably not alone but probably lacking a bit of confidence it doesn't look like the the Joe Lewis that we're sort of generally accustomed to which you know kind of maybe makes him a bit more of a, a target for people because he's not having a great he's by no means on his own but he's not having a great season so you do tend to naturally that ugh you know, it must be Lewis, he's, he's not having a great year, he's doing this, he's doing that. I'm not totally convinced you can really sort of squarely lay the blame at his door for those ones. But it's like Gavin says, it's just a carbon copy of many goals that we've conceded. And it's kind of irrelevant of who's not doing the job. The point is, there's a couple of guys, you know, in that, in that situation, there's a few people not doing their job or not paying attention to the results in us conceding a goal. And that's the, the alarming thing it's almost like they just it's just it's like a lack of concentration yeah you know it's like okay we've conceded a free kick we'll just take five minutes to get ahead around that by which time kick's been taken and everyone's looking at each other going oh I didn't realize I was supposed to have that guy no one really seems to actually take control on the pitch and almost sort of manhandle people into a position, you know? Right, that's your guy. You stand there, you watch him. Everyone's just sort of milling around the box. And then there's always this inquisition of, oh, I thought I thought that was you. I do feel like we're missing a lot of leadership on the pitch, actually. There was a moment in the first half when Dundee had the ball down their left flank and the guy's running at Ramsey and he knocks it back. And Ramsey follows the ball to the fullback, who's now being marked by, I, I, who would it be? Um, Bajewin to say that and then it just leaves the simple ball for the guy fullback to play to the guy that Ramsey's now left alone Yeah, it just feels like there's no discipline in terms of our defensive play and like Graham says the concentration's not there it's that was like when you play fives for the first time and you don't understand the way to defend is to just stay with your man yeah it's it's just yeah it's extremely amateur and like I say it's just it's a pretty damning indictment of the coaching that I think the players have received for a fair chunk of the season. I think you've also, I mean, the players have to look at themselves as well, with the odd exception, Baron being you know, one where he is just fresh out of the box, really young, learning the trade. A lot of those guys are really quite experienced players. I know Ferguson's a young man, for example, but he's got a wealth of experience for someone of his age. Yep. Lots of the, those players in that team are experienced, and I agree that something's got to be wrong behind the scenes, but... These aren't a bunch of kids being put into the pitch and you can kind of say, ah, well, no one's really told them what to do. Pretty much all of them are experienced enough that you would expect someone to just be able to take control 
of that situation on the pitch, whether he's captain or not, it doesn't really matter. Someone needs to be doing it. And it just looks like everyone's happy to just sort of pass a problem on to someone else. That's that's how that second goal happens, isn't it? Th- that's how it feels. Yeah, yeah, it's so. just yeah. everyone looking at each other going, oh, well, it sailed past me, it'll be someone else, it'll be someone else. And then before you know it, uh, there's nobody and it's in the net. And I don't really see anyone out there. And I, it's being a captain doesn't mean you have to be shouting and bollocking people, but I don't really see anyone pointing, organising, making it clear who's got what responsibilities at a set piece, for example. Yeah, and I feel we've missed that all season, actually. Even when Scott Brown was here, which was the thing I think a lot of us were like, that should be what he's at least bringing to the table. I don't think that was happening. And I looked at the team yesterday and I just thought there was no real, or it didn't appear to me that there was any real leadership on the pitch during the game. It didn't look to me there was people talking young guys through the game, trying to take the game by the scruff of the neck. I mean, you need to, you know, I look at guys like, I said it, I thought Declan Gallagher had a pretty fine game yesterday. But look at guys like him. I was like, he was captain at Motherwell. Um, must be able to kind of step up and, and do that. And I, I don't really see it. And I don't know, it's, it's just so disappointing that we were comfortable. Like, we had to scrap to get ourselves ahead. It was it was a typical game like the SD was going to be. You know, Dundee weren't making it easy. They were certainly being robust, shall we say, in their, in their approach to the game. But that's fine. That's what you're going to expect from a team who are bottom of the table, you know, scrapping for everything. We kind of got ourselves into the game. Um, the last 15 minutes of the first half, we played really well, I thought. We were really starting to make chances. The goal from Ramsey is a great goal. A lot of credit has to go to Bajouin as well for his run on the outside that takes the, the, the takes two players away, creates a bit of space. You know, and you think, great, like this is a team in Dundee who are fucking garbage and who are on a horrendous run of form. You think that's going to knock the stuffing out of them. Let's come out second half. Let's get another one put this game to bed and instead we were quite passive I thought opening 15 minutes of the second half which is why I think he brought Watkins on to try and give us a little bit more up up top and I thought Watkins did okay actually when he came on I thought he showed what we've been missing again but the biggest disappointment for me once again is the fact that Dundee just have to bring on Charlie Adam and it completely changes the game it happened at Dens Park he absolutely ran the show at Dens earlier in the season did it again He's only apart for 30 minutes. He's clearly not, I was going to say, fully fit. I don't think Charlie Adams ever fully fit. But, you know, he's clearly not there in terms of being able to play games. He's just come back from injury. But to allow him just to dominate the centre midfield area in the way that we did, it's just really galling. And nobody really got to grips with that at all. And it's just such a disappointing and meek way to to drop points yesterday. Even then, we do the hard part about going, you know, being dragged back to 1-1. And then again, I thought we played well after we went 1-1. We, 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 we kind of put our foot down a bit more again and we looked like the only team that was going to win the game. And when you get the goal, you think, that's it. That has to be it now. And for that second goal, it's just... I mean, I don't even know what to say about it. It just makes you end up sounding like a horse. <laughs> when you score that second goal and you see the scenes and it's like, that's it. Yeah. Game over. We've done that with 10 men. Heroic performance because obviously Vicente was out for the count. Yeah. Charlie Adam, you know, I mean, let's, I mean, you know, a total, total arsehole of a man. I suspect his family feel the same way. But yeah, he's he is the one little bit of quality that Dundee have. And it's just, I don't know. It's like, do you pay so much attention? Because uh, personally, I would just put someone on him and just shadow him and just harry him, him, not let him yeah. get control of the ball. 
get Ross McCrory on him. Like Ross McCrory is a good player that'll, you know, get in about him and not make life easy. I think another thing that for he did was he brought on and I think he took people's mind off the game. Mm-hmm. Especially Lewis Ferguson seemed to get really involved in, you know, trying to get him sent off or or whatever happened. And yeah, just the focus there was just gone. And yeah, it's, here we are again. We're, we've allowed, I'm going to say, a bad Dundee team four points this season. And that's the reason why we are currently sitting in, what, ninth place, but joint tenth. And, you know, as you say, the, the top six is still a possibility. But, you know, with the Waste and Johnston playing, you can't help feel like you're just looking over your shoulder a little bit. I think that is the most alarming thing that we're at this stage of the season and I don't think it's unreasonable to say that we are looking over our shoulder and that is just absolutely woeful. We'll be fine because St Mirren are worse than we are. <laughs> our saving grace was going to say that St Mirren are, you know, torpedoing down the league as well at quite the rate. Um, yeah. Also, I was just going to say, like, this is going to... I don't know if irrational hatred is one of these things, but I kind of keep thinking, why do I hate this guy? But Cami Kerr, <laughs> it's an absolute yeah. toss pot of a man <laughs> the way he strolls about the pitch and is like mate you play for Dundee and you've not, only I, ever played for Dundee and not even a good Dundee and you've got them relegated twice Chris who was at the game with yesterday Chris really really hates Cammy Kerr um, I'm not entirely sure why I, I'm, I, I'm not that offended by him but but there we go it's the way it's something about the way he swaggers about and like does the hard man act and it's like mate just fuck off I remember him doing it when we pumped them, what, 7-0? And he was doing it when we were 7-0 up. I was like, mate, just shut the fuck up. You played for Peterhead, and now you play for Dundee. I am... Um, one thing I picked up on yesterday, uh, it's not a big deal, but um, Mark McGee had very staunch footwear on. Brown Brogues. Brown Brogues with Navy with navy breaks. Yeah, yeah. He, he won't be getting the Celtic job anytime soon. <laughs> an outfit like that. Let's just put it that way. Somehow we don't think his... Uh, choice in attire is the reason he's not getting the Celtic gig anytime soon. He also came up with some absolute mad shit after the game. Did you hear it? I've not paid attention to what Mark McGee was saying afterwards. No, please uh, please enlighten us. So the interviewer was basically saying, do you think, you know, it's obviously a, you know, a draw, maybe not quite the result you'd have been looking for, because obviously with the result at McDermott Park, it means you're now six points behind. And he started rattling off about how when it went 2-2, they did the maths, apparently. I don't know what this means. Um, and they, they decided they weren't going to try and go to win the game because they thought that the maths worked in their favour. He still thinks it's... He thinks that seven points would have been insurmountable, but six points, they're still writing with a shout. And I wish that somebody... At the, I think it was on the BBC. I wish that somebody at that point pulled up the fact that they've got a goal difference of which is 12 worse than St Johnston's. So they are effectively seven points behind. I just love the idea of them like breaking up the abacus to work out the maths. Mad stuff. Really odd take. God knows. Him. God knows. No one on the Dundee bench has allowed a smartphone. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh no. Just a, a kind of a game in a way that just encapsulates how our entire season's been. Yeah. Absolutely. Just yeah, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah, definitely. And I must admit, I'm. My early to mid-season um, feelings about Christian Ramirez are kind of starting to drop off as the weeks poor. go by. He was very poor yesterday. He had, a, he had a poor game yesterday, which is the latest in the long line of games where he's not been not been on it. Although, in saying that, he he was unlucky a little bit. His shot that got cleared off the line 
it was a decent, you know, decent snap effort. And it's one of those, I guess, as a striker, if you get a goal, suddenly it can all turn back around again, can't it? But just the amount of times yesterday felt that when balls were coming at the box, he just was not in the right place for them at all. It, any opportunity. And there was one effort in the second half where like, I was convinced where I was sitting, it had to have been a corner kick because there was no way that he could have like finished it as badly to make it go where the ball went. And there's the section of people around me were all like, ah, oh, fucking hell, ref, it has to be, it has to be a, a corner. But then when you see no Aberdeen players appealing it at all, then you go, that must have been a goal kick, which means the attempt must have been truly hung. I um, I was watching the game on on the Dundee stream, but with the red TV commentary, and um, Stevie Tosh was the co-commentator, and he was convinced it was a corner because Hayes, I think, sprints over to take it. Yeah, that could have been, yeah. I'm yeah, assuming yeah. this is the same incident where he basically... Uh-huh punts the ball off his own head yeah. and um yeah they were all convinced and then they see the replay so oh oh that's why it's a goal kick um we've heard a lot this season from people saying that the issue is that there's a lack of service but also you need to have positional sense and i think like you say the ramirez is just not getting himself in the right positions and some of his play is just so incredibly lacking in pretty basic skill in saying that there was a moment in the second half where Johnny Hayes took the ball off of Cammy Kerr, I think. Quite possibly. I think it was Cammy Kerr and, and broke in on goal. And you're like, we were basically like four on two, I think. And it's like, cross it, square the ball. Bajau and Anne Ramirez had both taken up really good positions in the centre of the penalty spot. And Hayes just decides to try and smash one towards goal. He's going to have to, like, it's going to have to be an absolute worldie to find the back of the net. Keeper saves it, puts it behind for corner. And you know, we're just like, even decision-making on that level from a really, really experienced player in our team is so bad. All he has to do is there, look that up, and it's, he just has to square it. Unless he had flashbacks to the Scottish Cup final in 2017, I don't know, but... You can have that one for free, Jonathan, mate. Absolutely. It's just like, what are you, why, why are we doing that? And as a striker, like Ramirez, you'd just be, I was going to say, tearing your hair out. It's not like he's got a lot of hair, but you've taken up what would effectively be a tapping and your left winger does that. It would just must be so frustrating. But yeah, I, this is where, this is part of the reason again, why our January recruitment was so terrible because we've, we're left in a situation where we have a number nine, our only number nine, who's clearly so bereft of confidence and nothing's working for him. And we can't freshen up by sticking somebody else up there. Well, we've just got to hope that the, uh, the Weight Watchers diet is in full flight and, We'll be able to welcome back J. Emmanuel Thomas to the starting lineup next week. Full flight, like to gather. This is a good pun. Nice. It's going to have to be some fucking Weight Watchers job by then. Graham's currently throwing up into a bucket right now. Hey, I don't know if I can. Oh, Graham, I, I can't ask you about Top Don because you were watching Bucky Thistle. <laughs> that was an absolute goal fest. What was the score there? Five zip. Five now. Uh, yeah, it was good. Bucky. Bucky. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Bucky are what, 25 games winning streak or something like that? I think that was their 23rd. 23rd. And they still might not win the Highland League. But they Correct. All tight at the top in the, in the Highland League. Gav, yeah, you're... complete opposite to what I've been watching most of the season <laughs> at Pododry. It was really weird watching a team that was organised, composed, <laughs> and didn't shit themselves when the opposition attacked them. So I could get used to it. Did you enjoy just watching a team in green-white hoops? Is that all it was, Graham? No, it's just nice watching a team that's not garbage, to be honest. 
I hear that Stephen Glass was at Rothis yesterday to watch Rothis against Fraserburgh. Still a level too high from he and someone else whose name is Neil Doncaster, wasn't it? Well, I hope he had to pay it again. Aye, Doncaster. Doncaster. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so top don for top Aberdeen for you, versus yeah. Dundee. Um, Christ, yeah. this is a hard one. It's a hard one. Genuinely, no one stood. Up. I mean, I know I said, I know I mentioned Baron in my my notes, but I don't think it was his best game by any stretch of the imagination. No. It, it makes a lot of sense that Charlie Adam was named man of the match, which is again <laughs> also know. a damning indictment on the state of affairs. He was um, on the pitch for twenty three minutes. It's just embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, genuinely gen- no. It doesn't really matter. Twenty three thirty is irrelevant. It's embarrassing. That's that- terrible that Charlie Adam can come on and do that to us and be mad of the match. Uh, I mean, that's, that's you quoting Stevie Tosh right there. No one stands out. I can't, I can't pick anyone. I really don't have one. I, I'm going to give it to Ross McCrory, right? Because he scored and he lasted the 90 minutes. Well, I mean, I was going to say, Ramsey, you know, scored a good goal, but I think his defensive play again was, was lacking. Uh, yeah, no one. This is a, a null and void competition as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to give it to Ross McCrory. Uh, <laughs> that's where I'm going to go with it. For the women's side, it was Scottish Cup quarterfinal action for the Quines on Sunday as League Cup winners Celtic visited the Balmoral. Two changes for the Dons from the 1-1 draw with Spartans last time out. Donna Patterson and Louise Brown coming back into the side with Hannah Innes and Hannah Stewart both dropping out. A competitive and entertaining first half saw the visitors with the bulk of possession and play but the Aberdeen defensive line remained resolute and held out until the 41st minute of the game when Shen's shot come across, ended up in the back of Meech's goal to give the full-time side the lead. Going in at the break, Celtic doubling their lead on eight minutes, Bartle rising highest in the box to nod her header past Meech and put the away side on course for the semi-finals. Natasha Bruce and Nadia Sopel both introduced in the second half with Chloe Gover and Bailey Collins making way, but it wasn't to be for Emma Hunter and Gavin B's side. A tough draw, though, against one of the three full-time sides in the country. A two-week break now for the side. Next up is Hearts at the Balmoral in SWPL1 on the 17th of April as the side look to finish the league campaign as strongly as possible. For the young team, two games this week for the under-18s. The young team fielding one of their youngest ever sides, at this level on Tuesday night away at Celtic with international commitments ruling a number of the regulars out. Barry Robson's side filled the number of 14 and 15-year-olds and despite going a goal up after just three minutes through Cammy Wilson, Aberdeen eventually fall to a 3-1 defeat. And Friday afternoon saw the visit of Rangers to Cormac Park and Barry Robson was able to field some more experienced individuals on their return from international duty with the likes of Liam Harvey, Dylan Lobbin, Adam Emsley and Finlay Marshall coming back into the side against the Rangers outfit, boasting a number of players who featured for their Colts side in the Lowland League. Boo! Fuck the Colts. A thrilling encounter seeing Aberdeen end up on the wrong end of the odd goal in seven. Goals from Stuart Emsley and a Dylan Lobbin penalty for Aberdeen, but they fall to the third defeat against that lot this season. And next up is the visit of Dundee United to Cormac Park this week. On to Lone Watch, Cliftonville were beaten 2-1 by Crusaders in the Norwich Irish Cup semi-final on Friday evening, ending their hopes of a cup double. Luke Turner once again playing the full 90, although this time he contributes an own goal. Mark Gallagher 
not making the matchday squad again. Mark Gallagher might be Darren Mowbray for all we know. <laughs> in the Highland League, and, and Luke Turner was Jonathan Woodgate for that game. Absolutely. In the Highland League, Jack McIver with another start and a goal for Huntley as they went down by three goals to one to the Can Cans in Forest, I think, from recollection. Can't remember off the top of my head. Another start for Finn Yeats for Keith as they saw off Fort William by three goals to one at Kinnick Park. Tyler Makaita, this has flown completely under the radar from anybody associated with Aberdeen didn't even announce this. Returned to Fort Martin United during the week, his loan spell at Elgin City being cut short. And he started and scored as For Martin ran out 4-0 winners in Banff against Devon Vale. Kieran Nguenya, an unused substitute for champions Kelty Hearts as they drew 1-1 with Edinburgh City in League 2. Evan Towler playing the whole game for Elgin City as they sought out a 0-0 draw with Albion Rovers and Mason Hancock kept his spot. <clears throat> that tenants is repeating really badly. <laughs> Mason Hancock keeping his spot in the Sterling Albion starting line and their goalless draw with I think doomed Cowden Beef is the best way to put it. I don't know where they are in the league. I just presume they're doomed. They are 10th. They are 10th right. in League 2. Yeah. Morris Ross is the gaffer there. Just, uh, is he? Okay. We Don's reference for you there. Uh, Cowden Beef feel like kind of just a turd that won't flush, don't they? They've been like 10th in League 2. I don't know how many times in the last few seasons. They always just keep escaping. Maybe this year might be the other Yeah, year. I don't think it's, uh, I think it's ties this year for them. Because it'll be... Bonnie Rose, Fraser Brown, Bonnie Rigrose, most likely. Uh, well, you, you, Graham might take umbrage at this, given he's Bucky's biggest fan now. <laughs> no also, comment. Also, Morris Ross, that is a tenuous Aberdeen link, if I might it's very say so. Tenuous, it is tenuous. Uh, Ryan Duncan, a late substitute for Peter Head, as they won by three goals to like Clyde, as they pushed four points away from the relegation playoff spot in League One. And Dean Campbell was, once again, an unused substitute as Kilmarnock drew 1-1 with Morton. Doogie, mental Doogie Imre's Morton <laughs> in the championship on Friday evening. I know this doesn't fall into the category of lone watch, but uh, Ethan Ross, ex-Dons player, won the, well, scored a goal and won the SPFL Trust Trophy or whatever it's called. Yeah, he did. That trophy that we've never played in. It appears that there is something to leaving Aberdeen and winning trophies. Fancy Football Scotland. It's been a wee while since we looked at this. Graham, you chickened out last time about coming on because of how terrible your performance had been, as I recall. You even bought a ticket to the Stereophonics to avoid coming out and talk about it. You're not going to get a rise out of me, so you can move on. <laughs> I think we've got a rise. I think we've got a rise. Um, I honestly don't care. I don't understand <laughs> your, your, your snobbery. And as Gavin pointed out, you've also been in the relatively recent history to see them as well. I don't think I have. I think this is, I think this is made no. up. This is fake news. Fake news. Um, let's have a look. Let's have a look at the. Let's have a look at the the league for this. It's, week. it's not been a vintage week for me. It's, the it's, old, it's, uh, fantasy likewise, football. it's not been good for me either. Above I, average, but I'm not considering that a win, really. Yeah, I, I had a stonking twenty four points this week. I had twenty six, which isn't great. Although it could be worse. I could have had twenty four. <laughs> twenty nine. Twenty nine. Yeah, not bad, Gav. Not bad. Twenty nine. That is like. Almost half of that is taken up by uh, the Celtic centre-back that scored today. Ah, uh, Carter Vickers. Yeah. He who loves hoops. He who loves hoops. Yep. <laughs> um, looking at the ABZFP league, Jack Curran, two turkeys, still out in front, 50 points this week. Disappointing for him. If he'd got 51, he would have been bang on 2,000 points. That would have been a nice little milestone, but not to be. Gold, frankincense and gur hanging on there. 
in the silver medal spot, Steve Brown, 37 points, 1864. Matthew Price and Matt's Marvels. Is that a new a new name? I can't no, no, definitely seen him. Seen him before. Sort of hovering around the last few weeks. Up into third, 33 points, 1851. I feel like Gold, Frankenstein, and Gerr are starting to just solidify their spot in second place, a 14, a 13 point gap. Sorry, back to third. I feel so. And I, and I believe he can do it. I believe I he can still make up that uh, that difference between he and the two turkeys. I think so. Who knows? Let's, let's see what happens. Uh, looking down the list a bit more, the Aberdeen team, uh, uh, Craig Smith, fifth spot. I think he named that before the season started, obviously. It's <laughs> clearly an ironic name. Yeah, it's not the Ab- yeah. Aberdonian nightmare team. Grey Growlers, they're sinking, unfortunately. <laughs> heart attack Midlothian have we talked about heart attack Midlothian before this season I feel we've seen that we've name. mentioned them yeah yeah, yeah. good good name like it Beach End Boys presumably this is Dave Cormack's entry in <laughs> 23rd somebody has got the name Jumbo Jet it's Lewis Mickey ah Lewis Lewis Mickey Jumbo Jet that's like a prophetic name choice from the start of the season well, well done Lewis if you're still involved, if you're still up anywhere near, what, the top 50, perhaps, you've probably still got a chance of winning a prize, potentially. Some good prizes on offer in the league at the end of the season. Keep on keeping on. Keep on top of your team. You've got a chance of winning something. For everybody else, just abandon ship, abandon hope now. You are Livingston without David Martindale to entertain you. Oh, by the way, have you seen the penalty they were not given? <laughs> Holy shit, man. Like... It's fair to say Davey was really calm about it at Sports End. I mean, fair play. I mean, yeah, I thought I was pretty reserved, all things considered. <laughs> Absolute shocker. Uh, Graham Giles actually did quite a good tweet about this today, um, just about how bad the referees were, just, just over this weekend, not just like the season, just this weekend alone, how bad they've been. And it's just that just when you think the refereeing in Scotland reaches a, a, a new low, they somehow managed to pull out the bag a complete set like that one. It was um who was the ref at Liv- St. John's Livy yesterday? It was um it was, it was I wonder- Kevin Clancy. Well, there we go. Um I can only presume he didn't give a penalty because it was the team in blue. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's where I'm going with that one. Anyway, let's move on. It all comes down to this. Mad racist, Malky Mackay's Dross County, visit Aberdeen for the second time this season, with Aberdeen's hopes of a top six finish and the slim, slim hope of European football hanging in the balance. A must-win for the Dons, who also need Hibs to fail to win at Tynecastle to scrape into the top six. <laughs> and if we were to wangle our way in, our total of 39 points would be the lowest points total in history that any side has managed to make it into the top six by beating out St Johnston's 40 points from last season. So... Gents, the Staggies arrive, also searching for a win that would give them a top six position if the result at Tynecastle also goes the way we need it to. Let's be honest, and there's no disrespect to, to Ross County, how disappointing just is it that our season comes down to a shootout with Ross County? Very. It's just an absolute shambles that um, we're in that position. I mean, the relative sort of golfing resources between Aberdeen and Ross County must be... It must be quite large, actually. I mean, we're still dealing with relatively small numbers in the grand scheme of things, even in the Scottish League, but we must have significantly superior resources in terms of ability to pay wages, transfers, even just probably the 
theoretically the ability to attract players and etc. And the fact that we are in a shootout basically with him to get into the top six is um, really pretty poor reflection on the state of our season. And I actually, I absolutely do not back ourselves to actually get out of that either. All hail the glob. Um, vive the glob. Um, yeah, that was too close to hail hail, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I mean. Again, in spite of your impassioned defence of the quote-unquote competitiveness of our league, if we do manage to get into the top six, that is not a good sign for the six teams that finish below us because no. we have been fucking dreadful this season. And if there are teams out there that are... If there are six teams out there that are worse than us at the 33-game mark, then whew, wouldn't want to be you guys. I mean, I saw somebody talk about it as well yesterday. It's fair to say we've kind of not really had the new manager bounce you'd be expecting. I tell you who's really not had the new manager bounce. Hibs. I thought you were going to say Dundee there. <laughs> Dundee's just a, a, a given. And sit, man. But yeah, I mean, look at Hibs though. I mean, like that's... Uh, obviously, if, if we do win and Hibs feel to win at Tynecastle, we we will be top six. They won't be. It's not worked typically well for them. They've spent a, a decent wedge as well this season. Um in terms of players, etc., going on. So, you know, it would be a, a, a horrendous season for them as well if they fail to make it in. Looking at the game next week, though, um, let's take a look and see how we think this one's going to go. Two draws between the sides so far this season. Two 1-1 one, one draws. Aberdeen really, really fortunate to get a 1-1 one, one draw early doors in the season. Uh, Christian Ramirez with what was effectively the last minute. Equaliser. Since our last meeting in Dingwall, Ross County have... I was convinced we got beat in Dingwall. That's how... That's what this season's been like a bit, isn't it? Did we go 1-0 up that game and then they pegged yeah, us we back? Did. Johnny Hayes scored and then they pegged us back. Of course they did. It was just... <laughs> You've watched us this season. <laughs> well, I know. I knew. I know they pegged us back. I just thought they went and scored a winner afterwards. But uh... No, we somehow managed to see that one out. Since our last meeting in Dingwall, which I think was just at the start of February, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Ross County have won four, drawn two, lost to a 1-1 draw with Hearts last time out on Saturday. I think it's probably fair to say that Ross County can be described as open. Uh, they scored 44 goals this season, which is fourth in the league on that. Only one off of Hearts in third spot. But they've got the second worst defence in the league. Um, they've conceded 52 in total. Only Dundee have conceded more than that. Top scorer is, unsurprisingly, Reagan Charles Cook. 13 goals for him in the league this season. Jordan White, their most creative outlet, with six assists for him this campaign. So... What are we expecting come Saturday? There are two troubling elements in this game. <laughs> number one is that Ross County tend to score quite a lot of goals. And number two is Aberdeen can't defend for 90 minutes. So it's uh doesn't make for great reading slash expectations. Um, certainly, I don't really remember too much of the game in Dingwall now, as you can tell. But I thought I could remember the score two minutes ago. But we were terrible against them at home. I think Graham and I were there. I'm not sure. Not sure if you were there, but no, I, I missed that one. We were we were very poor and yeah, very fortuitous that their goalkeeper laid one on a plate for Ramirez to score. Um, who knows? Is the honest answer because I have no idea what Aberdeen team will show up, what character of Aberdeen team will show up, and it's a big game, which is a sad thing to say about a game to get into the top six. Yeah, pretty much in the same boat. I- they are quite attacking, so it's unlikely, I'll probably say this every single week, it's unlikely we'll be keeping a clean sheet. But I'm not really sure where 
we're going to get any goals from either, to be honest, based on the last few weeks. I would, I was about to say the fact that we have to win will mean something, but I really felt like we had to win yesterday and I didn't really seem to put anyone up or down. So I'm not really sure that's actually going to really change anyone's attitude. Yeah. But I mean, hopefully, I mean, some of these guys need to be looking at this just saying, if you can't turn it around now, then you're just not going to be here. To be honest, that's probably been the case for the last few months. We've not really seen any sort of revival. Um, so it's difficult to know. It's like the thing Gavin says, you don't really know what you're going to get from Aberdeen. Because at times this season, we have looked really quite good. And we've had some good results. But then we're just going to chuck it all away by getting a decent result and then losing to a Livingston or something like that or a St Johnston the week after. Well, what was the point of going... You know, taking points off Rangers or beating Hearts, whatever, and then falling apart. So I really don't know what to expect on Saturday. To be honest, I feel like they don't really seem to respond well to pressure. I have no idea what sort of crowd we're going to get, but it's not going to be a particularly patient home crowd. I wouldn't expect that sort of criticism uh, from me to fans. You know, I'm not in a position to be telling people what they can and can't do. But I think it's been a pretty woeful season. I don't think the team's going to get a great deal of support or patience, rather. I think they'll get the, the, the usual good support, but people aren't going to be particularly patient. So for Oscar County to come out and sort of stifle us or worse, score early, it'll be interesting to see how they can respond to that. Every game Goodwin's had so far has been a learning curve and he'll know a lot about the people he's got in that squad now, yeah. but... I think Ross McCrory made mention that if you can't deal with the pressure of playing for Aberdeen, then you shouldn't be here. And yeah, this is one of those games as will be all games for the remainder of the season until, you know, we're in a place where the season is effectively over. Yeah. Just got to hope that the players have can take a level of pride and professionalism and do what we think we can, they can do and not show the kind of performances that we've seen, you know, against Dundee, for example. Yeah, I mean, Graham's kind of made the point I was just about to make, which is, yeah, I, I don't know what kind of crowd is going to be like for, for Saturday. I can't imagine it's going to be huge, but I guess there might there might be an added few put on because of the fact it is a, a must-win game. But if you're Malky Mackay... Um, God. <laughs> thank God I'm not Malky. <laughs> um, you're going to basically be saying to your team, this is a bit of a shot at nothing for us, isn't it? Like, all the pressure is on Aberdeen. Like they can come here and if they if they don't win and they don't get top six, it's not a disaster for Ross County this season. Especially the start of the season Ross County made for them to be effectively safe as they practically are right now from relegation is is probably an achievement and job done. They can come down here and have a bit of freedom about them. They can probably try and take the game to us a little bit. Like I say, they've got no pressure on them at all. All the pressure's on us. And this is just to finish fucking top six. It's not even like it's that much of an achievement but it's just the only way we can even come close to salvaging the season from the dumpster fire that it currently is it's not yeah it's not an achievement but no if we don't get into top six then yeah this season is well it's it's a write-off it's gone or you know and i think even if we make top six it'll still be a disaster even if we finish fourth i think we'll still be sitting here saying it's not been good enough and you know Uh, we'd still we'd, we'd still be hoping there'll be a lot of people that are here right now who will not be here next season absolutely completely don't disagree with that but if we were to somehow somehow escape out of this season 
in fourth spot and got European football, that would be, frankly, right now, a miracle. But as, as you say, we have to finish top six before you can even consider that. So that, that's why Saturday becomes so important. If I'm Mackay, I, I literally go, I, get, I basically tell my team out, you go, go and play, go and play with freedom. If you get a goal early doors against us, the, the crowd are going to get on top. It's going to get, it could get a wee bit ugly from that perspective. All the pressure is, is on this Aberdeen team. And I'm, based on what I've seen a lot of this season, I'm not convinced this is a team that handles pressure particularly well. I'm, hope, I'm hoping I'm proved. I'm hoping I'm proved wrong come Saturday. But yeah, same. I'm quite happy to be eating my my words or big slice of humble pie, whatever it may be. But so many points this season, it just feels like we've we've caved, and it's not even necessarily being massive pressure cooker situations like we're right at the bottom or it's a cup final or something like that. It's crapping it away to Dundee in October, yeah. losing to St Mirren twice, stuff like that. This is sort of basic games that shouldn't be particularly stressful or shouldn't really be big pressure occasions we turn them into that so it's difficult really to kind of have any confidence going into Saturday that everyone's going to be up for it and everyone's going to be focused and we'll be able to handle this I think um, if I were Marky Mackay I'd go on a race relations course I would ignore the latest friend request from Graham Spears and then (laughs) I would Tell the team probably I was I would line up a team, get them organized, get them into a shape, because Aberdeen were still a pretty predictable team to play against. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still it's better I think, but it's can still be quite slow and passive in the middle. And we've generally speaking, we now get them all at wide to Bajawin or, you know, hopefully Marley Watkins will be in a place where he can start on Saturday. Yeah. I think he would bring another element of quality that, I mean, I think McLennan did okay, but you know, it wasn't. A great performance. I would certainly be starting Watkins if you were fit enough. But yeah, like Graham said, get them into a shape. And then the longer the game goes on, the more restless the Aberdeen fans will become. And I don't think that'll take a whole lot of time. And then, yeah, as all our opponents this season will know, we'll eventually shoot ourselves in the foot or shit the bed. And yeah, they'll get their opportunity. So a, a big game for our players to show them, show us, show us something about themselves. Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all uh, with with a lot of that, to, to be honest. I think it'll be interesting to see how Goodwin decides to try and go at it because for me, I think the kind of pragmatism almost needs to go out the, the door a little bit here on Saturday. We have to win the game. It's as simple as that. If we don't go down fighting, then that is a really, really poor way to go out. It just doesn't reflect well on the management or the, or the players. Um yeah, it's a one-shot deal. You have to win, and if you don't set up to go out and sort of just try and be aggressive, play in the front foot, if you try and, oh, well, we'll just get to half-time sort of nonsense, nah, it's just not a good yeah. reflection. Start the game the same way we ended at Dens Park. Declan Gallagher up front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree as well, Gav. I think if, if Marley Watkins is even remotely fit and they feel they can only even get 45 minutes, 50 minutes out of him, he should start. Um, and, and then you take it from there if you need to. I, th- I still think he made a big difference actually in our attacking play when he came on 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 Saturday. Uh, we just didn't really see enough of him, but I still think he adds much more to our attacking threat than than unfortunately Conor Clend does at, at this moment in time. It's going to be an interesting game. I think I, I really think it is. I think you know we've we've touched on it. County score a lot of goals and we 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 don't keep clean sheets. So I could see County scoring at least once or twice. The the saving grace is that they are 
hopeless at the back and therefore we have every chance of, of picking them off and getting a few goals at the other end. So you want to try and predict this one. This is a, it's a battle of who is the least hopeless. <laughs> yeah, it almost is, which is almost an indictment of, you know, the glob. The glob. <laughs> okay, I'll let Graham predict this first. It could, I'm pretty sure there's going to be goals, mainly because like we said, well, neither team is particularly good defensively. Nil nil draw incoming. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's going to be that or like four or five or you know some because I agree that it's a free hit for Ross County. I mean, no one, I have no idea what their aspirations were. I don't really care, but I would have thought top six would represent a pretty good achievement for a club of that size, especially like you said, considering the way they um, shot themselves in the foot repeatedly at the start of the season when they were playing catch up. Yeah, from quite early on. So if they could if they could get there, I imagine that would be seen as quite an achievement. It's not an achievement for us, but it's critical because it gives you some sort of chance of maybe getting into a European spot. So I kind of look at it as two teams that have to win. Ross County have been open, as you've said by the stats. They're, they're scoring, but they're conceding. Don't feel like we really are open, which is where I'm a little bit more concerned. I'm not really sure. And again, I'm not really sure it's Goodwin's mentality to just be right gung ho, throw open, and that and that's why I think we might struggle because I think county might come at us, and we we counter that by being, well, like we were um, setting half yesterday, a little passive, inviting teams on to us, and inevitably we will make a mistake and concede, and you can't really, it's difficult to really step up from there if you've basically let a team dominate you, you can't just suddenly decide, okay, guys, let's go and, you know. Um, Turn the tables on them. So I'm got is that but it's because it's so important, it's difficult to say that we're not going to do it. So I'm gonna say a swashbuckling three two to Aberdeen. Lovely. You were talking there about what Ross County's aspirations for the season were. I mean, I'd I i do not know for definite, but I imagine one of them was probably hoping that their manager didn't get pulled up in front of the SFA for a racism charge. Just gonna throw that one out there. Well, yeah, I guess that's never really something you want, is it? Small steps. Yeah, he didn't send a text to somebody saying something offensive. That that would probably be an aspiration. Gav, your thoughts? Um, <laughs> Is that the Aberdeen top six hopes going up in smoke there? I'm looking forward to the fan zone beforehand. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That should be good. I'm looking forward to the beer festival the three of us are going to in the evening. Yep. And I'm very much hoping that we're toasting a victory and not the... Uh, not the relegation playoffs. Um, I think, what am I thinking? What do I believe and what do I think? And what am I going to pretend to say? We're going to win this game 2-1. We're going to go one goal down, get an equalizing goal from somewhere, and then in a glorious return, J. Emmanuel Thomas will come off the, off the bench, looking like a prime roided up ultimate warrior and smash home the winner from 30 yards. It's very specific. Very specific, Gav, but I like Hopefully it. Hopefully with the accompanying Ultimate Warrior theme music. <laughs> I am going to say... Not even off the bench, actually. We're just going to say, like, in the lineup, we've got, like, a mystery player. And he just comes, <laughs> he just comes from the tunnel. Just rises through the pitch. Yeah. Lovely. Um, Aberdeen, four. Ross County, three. A last-minute winner from Vicente Bajouin, sending Batodri into raptures, possibly a mini-pitch invasion, 
Only <laughs> for, only for news to come through from Tyne Castle. The Hibs have stuck at 1-0 and it all didn't matter anyway. A pitch invasion led by one Graham Steele. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going for. Taps off and everything. Taps off. <laughs> Sash on from the Always Legend Bucky this week. Some of that's kind of amusing, but bearing in mind we'll have played fives on Thursday, which means I won't have recovered enough time that I won't be hobbling around. There's absolutely no danger that I will make it from my seat in the shed onto the pitch in anything less than about 10 minutes. There we go. Let's move on. So top six it is? Top six it is. No danger. We've taken our team into <laughs> mediocrity. Globland. <laughs> so that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break for the latest in our series of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time out, it's Rob Milsom. And to play us out this half, here's Monza Express with their latest single, Lady Bell, which is available in all of your usual streaming locations. Follow Monza Express on Twitter at... Monza Express.
So, has lockdown got you feeling like you don't have the self-confidence to embark on an Archie Knox-esque dressing room, dressing down with no pants on? Gav? Oh, you know it, man. You know it. It's like a fucking jungle down there. Well, hey, have no fear. The performance package 4.0 from Manscaped is here. And like a prime realm again, it's a real game changer. (laughs) (laughs) Now, inside the performance package 4.0, Gav, you can attest this. You've got a package. I've got a package. (laughs) We've all got a package. And then we got an extra package. You'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Their weed whacker, ear and hair nose trimmer. Thankfully, that's uh, not of any required use for me quite yet, but you never know. You never I know. need it. I need I, I need that. Not in the ears. I don't have... The ears is not an issue. No one's told me the ears are an issue. Nose, hairs, yeah, that's, that's a problem. Crop preserver, ball deodorant. Crop reviver, toner. Performance boxer briefs and a luxury travel bag for full transparency. All of us on the ABZFP, we've been provided with one of their performance package 4.0s. It's a pretty cool we set, eh, Gav? Yeah, I was very impressed with that, actually. I was expecting just like one, just expecting the lawnmower 4.0 and then to get the full, uh, yeah, like you say, the full package. Very, very impressive set. Absolutely. Hey, and let's talk about the lawnmower 4.0. It's a pretty remarkable piece of kit. Uh, a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce nicks and cuts. It's waterproof. It's got a 400k LED spotlight, which is very handy for in those areas. I mean, if anyone should know, the people that have documented Aberdeen for the last 35 weeks will know that if you go into something with the wrong stuff, it can lead to absolute disaster. Absolutely. And that 400k LED spotlight, that helps you with a more precise shave to make things look a little bit less Davy Robb and a bit more Jim Goodwin. That's right. We've had to think about comparing Aberdeen personalities of past and present here to your boss. That's, that's what we're doing here. And the Weed Whacker nose and ear trimmer. It's waterproof. It's got a proprietary skin-safe technology again. Helps reduce nicks, snags and tugs on those delicate nose and lug holes, ensuring you won't miss a thing from your favourite interview on the ABZ Football Podcast. The Performance Package 4.0 brings even more to the table with their crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver ball toner. And trust me, give that a wee splash on the, the old boys. That'll just fairly lift the day, shall we say. And it'll change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust us, this ball care puts Connor Barron to shame. It doesn't end there. Manscaped even throwing two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, a pair of anti-chafe Manscaped boxes. Now, I used these last week at fives, and I'll be honest... That was the best performing thing about me at goals. <laughs> I was just going to say, it did not help your overall football performance. I had a much more comfortable night's sleep, though. <laughs> and there's also a free travel bag. Now, it's time to take care of yourself. So head over to manscaped.com, use the code ABZPODCAST to get 20% off your order and free shipping. And listen, we know that it's not just guys that listen to our podcast. So girls, you listen out there. Maybe your other half's had that, you know, they let themselves go a little bit in lockdown. Get on there. Maybe a wee birthday's coming up. Even a Christmas present. Get in there early. Manscaped.com. Use the code ABZ Podcast. 20% off your order. Free shipping. Trust us. Your balls will love you. It is crucial to have the right equipment when you're dealing with that particular area. Because if you get it wrong, you're going to make Kirk Broadfoot 
blowing up an egg in his own face. <laughs> Pale in comparison to what happens to you. So get on it. Manscaped.com. ABZ Podcast. Welcome back to the APZ Football Podcast. And next up, it's the latest in our line of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time, it's a man signed from Fulham in Craig Brown's first transfer window. Went on to make 59 appearances in red, scoring two goals before departing in the summer of 2013. It's Rob Milsom. Rob Milsom, welcome to the APZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, good, thank you. Yourself? Top of the world, mate. Um, Aberdeen are currently on... 10 game, well, I was gonna say losing streak, not winning streak in the league. So, you know, it's all good. Not so great. <laughs> Listen, Rob, we're delighted to have you on board. Um, looking forward to getting a chat with you, uh, just about your career to date, and then obviously your time spent in the northeast of Scotland. So, without any further ado, let's get started. So, you were born in Redhill in England on the 2nd of January 1987. Just talk to us a little bit about your kind of upbringing and your childhood. Yeah, so I was born in Redhill, not far, not far from where I, uh, from where I am now. Uh, about 20 minutes away. Uh, then I grew up in a flat in, uh, it's a place called Wallingham. It's not far from Croydon. Yeah, I lived around this area um, until I moved to Aberdeen, to be honest. Um, it was obviously close enough to Fulham and Fulham's Academy from where I, obviously I started out locally and playing for the local teams around there. Um, but yes, yeah, about 45 minute drive to um, Motspur Park, which is Fulham's training ground. And uh, yeah, that's where, it's, where it started. Were you always into football or were there any other sports interests competing for your time when you were growing up? Yeah, I was quite, I enjoyed athletics. Um, I was I was quite good. I was quite quick and I was decent at cross country, 1500 metres a bit of school. But then probably around 11, 12, I think it became a bit difficult, you know, to, I was training at Fulham's Academy three nights a week, Saturday, game on Sunday. So it became hard to, to fit everything in and to follow sort of any other sports or any anything else that I kind of wanted to do. So quite early, my main focus became sort of solely on football, which was great because I loved it. So no, I did dabble in bits and pieces here and there, but I'll probably say, yeah, football was my main focus from, from fairly early on. What team did you support as a boy? Who was your favourite player when you were growing up? So my team was Spurs as a kid. Uh, my dad was a big Spurs fan, uh, so he, yeah, I followed in his sort of footsteps in that in that way. Uh, I think I didn't really I didn't really get to go to any games. It's sort of North London, it's a bit of a trip from from South Side of London, so I didn't I didn't really get to many games. It was obviously quite expensive to go back in the day. Um, but yeah, I loved um, <coughs> Darren Anderton was my uh, was my player, and I liked watching him when I was as a Spurs fan. Um, Spurs were always a good team to watch, especially back then. Very not not the greatest of results, but you know a good team to watch. And and that was that was my team growing up. Always had the kits and this that and the other. So yeah, it was Spurs. And then, as you've just mentioned, you joined the Fulham youth setup at the age of eleven. Obviously, London. There's plenty of football teams around. Were there any other clubs interested in you? And if so, what made you decide that Fulham was the best place for you to start your career? Yeah, there was quite a few. Um, Fulham were actually in League One when I when I joined them. It was all sort of the era when um, Kevin Keegan had just 
sort of coming in as manager, Mohamed Al-Fayed was sort of taking over the club. Obviously, that stuff I was completely oblivious to at the time. Um, but yeah, there was a few clubs in London. I know sort of it was the old Wimbledon, Chelsea, Arsenal. They sort of West Ham wanted to have a look. But um, I think Fulham was Fulham and Wimbledon were the closest to me. And I, <clears throat> I went down to Fulham and trained there um, on the six-week trial. And I signed there and it was it was just the easiest. It was difficult for my for my parents back there, especially my dad, obviously, because he had to get back from work and then to take me to, say, an Arsenal or a West Ham to over to North London to East London would have been difficult. So uh, Fulham was sort of about a 45-minute drive from uh, from where we are. So, yeah, that was the... Uh, it was more chosen on that basis as in I could, I could get to training, I could get to training on time. Um, so, yeah, that... I signed for them when I was 11, I think you said. Um, yeah, and it was, a, it was a great club and it was obviously up and coming. You know, I remember I remember going to the games when they were in League One and they got promoted. And then I remember going to the games, I think they were in the championship for two or three seasons. And they had that amazing season when, you know, Louis Saha was banging in goals for fun. And uh, I remember going to them games and it was, uh, it was great. And all in those times before the uh, the Michael Jackson statue was just a figment <laughs> of someone's imagination. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Michael Jackson used to come out with Val Fired and that's give right. The yeah, hands wave before the game. Mad. Did you ever meet him? Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't meet him. No, no but I've come sort of fairly close to him uh, <laughs> a couple of times. But I oh, know I've never met him. So you're promoted. You work your way through the ranks. You're promoted to the Fulham reserve team. Um, we've got to know that you were initially being played as a left back at Fulham before you were then moved into the centre of the park, which is where we knew you uh, as a player for Aberdeen. How did that switch of positions come about? I think from sort of like, when I joined from 11 to 16, you're always, uh, there was sort of a philosophy within the club when she, like John Tigana came in as manager and the sort of the club had this big sort of philosophy on way of playing and they like to play out from the back and everyone, all the young boys had to sort of try and learn all the different positions. So, from sort of nine to sixteen, I would be playing in games as a one week as I'd be playing a centre half, one half, I'd be playing at left back, centre midfield, I'd be playing up front as a number ten. So that they sort of major sort of learn all the different positions. And then when you sort of got to sort of fifteen, sixteen, um, before you were gonna to go to sort of a full-time scholarship, then I was sort of left back became what they perceived as my best position at the time. Um, yeah, so I sort of stuck playing left back within in the youth teams, and my uh, I sort of as I broke into the reserve team, I was a left back. Um, it wasn't actually I didn't actually play centre midfield until there was a there was, it was in pre season. It was a there was a reserve team game against someone, and um, I think Darren Prattley, he was yeah. he was at Fulham at the time. He was a few years older than me, and um, the manager came down and said that he was going on loan to. Brentford I think it was at the time and we didn't have anyone else to play in centre midfield and I sort of went in there for the second half and had a really good game and then it kind of just stuck from there and then from then on I sort of progressed fairly quickly really um, I sort of went from not doing too much to be honest uh, at the club as a left back I was doing alright but nothing I wasn't sort of getting pushed through to the first team or anything and then sort of I played centre midfield and within uh, within a few a couple of months, I was sort of in training of the first team as a midfield as a midfield player, which was a bit strange because I still felt like I was alien to that position a little bit. 
who were the kind of key influences on you, Rob, when you were making your way through that youth setup at Fulham? Do you think? Yeah, so I've had some I've had some top coaches really. My youth team manager was Paul Clement, um, who's obviously he's gone on to be assistant manager at uh, Angelotti to Madrid, PSG, yeah. and all these clubs. So I had him as my youth team manager. But um, in the reserve team, I had Billy McKinley. Um, he's obviously well known Scottish. I'm still scared of him now. <laughs> and, uh, and then Ray Lewington, and they were the two sort of at the time my reserve team managers and uh yeah they were they were massive for me yeah they were great they pushed us Billy was you know he was like really sort of hard on you but fair at the same time and sort of pushed to get every sort of ounce of ability out of you and really worked us hard and we had we had a really good group of young boys and um we yeah I thought we did all right around him and some of us have gone on to have half decent careers. Ray Lewington that's um Roy Hodgson's number two isn't it? That's right yeah so when Roy came into Fulham, he then took Ray from the reserves into the first team setup, and then since then Ray's just followed Roy about to Liverpool, England. I think he's at Watford with him now. I think he's at Watford. Palace. Palace. Yeah. yeah, Palace for yeah. sure. Yeah. So yeah, obviously when you're kind of getting in about training with the first team, Roy Hodgson would be the manager in that kind of time. Wealth yeah. experience still going to this day. Uh, what was yeah. it like working under under Roy Hodgson? Yeah, I think like that that period of time where you're sort of trying to learn learn the game a little bit you're still trying to understand how to play your position properly I think you couldn't get more of a sort of perfect manager in that sense you know sort of like tactical understanding knowing where to be because everything was very training was all very sort of regimented and you know you had to Everything was about your position and movement, structured, how to defend, how to attack as a team. Um, yeah, and I had a lot of experienced pros in that team as well uh, that always willing to help me out and stuff. So, um, no, him, Roy, and obviously I had Ray, who I was kind of close with anyway from being in the reserves. It was it was a good time to sort of be in and around training with the first team, sort of trying to, trying to break in. After captaining the reserve side, you head out alone to Brentford. I think you were in League Two at the time for a short spell. I think it was maybe only six appearances that you made for them. Yeah. What sort of experience was that for you? And I guess, first of all, you're going out alone away from Fulham, you've dropped into League Two. I'm guessing maybe as a midfielder, it's a bit of a shock because the game's probably a bit more, not, not necessarily intense, but it's probably quite hard at that level and you probably don't get much time on the ball. And then there's the added piece of you've dropped down from Fulham, so maybe people want to let you know what it's all about. Yeah, my first yeah it was it was it was a shock, definitely. Um, <laughs> I learned I learned a hell of a lot from that from that first loan move. You've got your obvious, do you know what I mean? The facilities aren't as good and all that sort of stuff. But I remember the get yeah the game's completely different. The game is it's like a, sometimes it's like a different sport. Honestly, like especially <laughs> as a midfield player, I'm going to try and get the ball off my centre half, and they're just not even looking at me, just punting it <laughs> over my head. And I'm sort of looking at them like, what are you doing? <laughs> but that's the way that's the way that they had obviously been told to do it you know it's sort of no risks uh, and I'm still obviously looking to get the ball off the centre halves and when I'm supposed to be trying to pick the second ball up in the middle of the pitch so yeah I found it uh, obviously it was very physical at the time um, I had a couple of good games a couple of not so good games uh, but yeah and I found it I found it difficult to, it was the first time I sort of played Saturday, Tuesday Saturday, Tuesday as well and I remember that, you know, being a bit of a taking its toll on me. I needed to get used to that as well. 
because in reserve team football at the time, it was sort of you played a game and then you didn't have a game for 10 days or a couple of weeks or something like that. So you can yeah. go sort of a couple of weeks without a game. And then when you're in that, you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday against sort of seasoned pros and and the game was just very sort of you know, physical. It wasn't too much technical aspect to it, which was what was I, I was kind of used to at the time. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a learning curve in that sense. You return to Fulham, and on the twenty third of September two thousand eight, you make your first team debut for Fulham, uh, coming off the bench in a one 0 defeat at Turf, Turf Moor in the League Cup. And we've got it. It was only a couple of minutes, but just how proud a moment was that for you and your family to make your your first team debut for Fulham. Um, can you remember much about that night? Yeah, I can. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was massive. I think I spoke to uh, Russell Anderson about that because he was he was he was playing in that game that night for Burnley. Ah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah, on Lord yeah. from Derby, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Sunderland. Can't remember. Yeah, I think unfortunately that was the game. How it came up in conversation was that was the game that he'd done his knee ah, okay. uh, and a tackle with Clint Dempsey, I think. Um, Bloody Clint Dempsey was obviously unfortunate game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, I remember having a conversation with him about that. Uh, yeah, obviously, I'm, I, yeah, I got on the pitch for a couple of minutes at the end, and you know, you always it was yeah, it was a proud day, a proud moment, and um, one that I'll remember forever. I can remember sort of sort of can remember every touch <laughs> from that from that uh, from that short period I was on the pitch. I think um, Rodriguez scored. I think yeah, Jade Rodriguez. I think a, late, yeah. a goal quite late. I think as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think he went around the keeper. So yeah, uh, proud day for me, but obviously not the best of results for the team at the time. But after that, you're back out on loan, uh, another short spell this time with Southend United, mm. uh, who are then in League One. Was that just something, just basically to try and get you out and get you some game time? Yeah, I mean, at that, at that time, I was sort of in and around the first team quite a lot. and um, <clears throat> Sort of on the bench and not really coming on and stuff like that. But I was, I think Roy, Roy liked... He liked me being in and around the first team setup. I'd, you know, travel with the team. I'd be left out of the squad one week. I'd be on the bench the next. But I wasn't really getting any games, so I was kind of going in there saying, "Can I go on loan?" And it was always a no. You're not going on loan. And he, I think he used to think that if you if you went on loan, like if, if I went out on loan, I might get into sort of some bad habits. He used to mention it quite a lot. You know, you get into bad habits because obviously the game is different. You know, he's very. He's got his his way that he likes to do things, and he was he was sort of from what he saw in training, fairly happy with what I was doing within my position in training to how he likes things to be done. And I didn't think he really wanted you know sort of me going elsewhere and getting into bad habits that if I once I came back if I was playing that I might sort of use them whilst I'm playing for Fulham. But like I know that I needed I needed to go and play games. Um, South End came come up, uh, came up, which was it's fairly close to it's not too far, hour and a half um, from where I am. Um, so they were have sort of happy to go for me to go there for a couple of months. And uh, yeah, once again, it was I did okay. I didn't do great. It was like it was a sort of similarish to Brentford, really. Um, I found myself sort of in and out of the game a lot. You know, I could be out of the game for quite a long period of time. I needed to. Know, get used to trying to win second balls and things like that. I was still very wanting to get the ball on the floor and sort of nice football and pass and move. And you know, I wasn't I wasn't worried about putting a tackle in or anything like that. But when the ball's in the air so much, you sort of found myself, you know, like lost in the game a little bit. Yeah. It, it felt like the game would never settle down. 
it was like you don't mind it first 15 minutes you know turn them around and that's fine I understand that but the game it just felt like the game just never settled down it was always just sort of tennis you go we go you go we go it would never sort of you'd never have you know 10 12 passes sort of sustained possession kind of what I was used to a little bit so I found yeah I found it quite tough again um in a in a but in that team we had some, we had some good players in that team as well do you think those short-term loans, you know, like the kind of like month, three-month loans that you see a lot happening in England, you don't really see them as much in Scotland. I think going away, they're almost something as counterproductive to players to an extent because you're never like, you don't get settled at a team properly because you're already thinking, I might only be here for like four or five weeks, whatever. Yeah. And managers as well are probably thinking to themselves, I can't really let this guy get too integral to the team because he's away in three months anyway. Do you think that's a bit of an issue with those short-term loans? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak for myself and how I found... I know a lot of people speak extremely highly of sort of the loan system and going out on loan, no matter where you go, can be the best thing. I don't... Listen, I think going on loan is a good thing, but I think it needs to be sort of thought of a little bit better. Um, I mean, obviously, dependent on the clubs and it's got its resources and stuff like that, but, you know, sending a a tough centre-half out into League Two where... It's a lot of heading it and, you know, yeah. clearing it, going to be involved in the game. Great. But if you've got someone like myself who wants to try and get on the ball a little bit and it's just going over my head all the game and I can't really get involved in it, I feel like it was a little bit sort of counterproductive. But I guess at that time, no one sort of really went on loan to anywhere. You know, like a lot of the, a lot of the boys now go on, on loan abroad, for example, where it might fit their game a little bit better. You know, like tricky wingers that sort of want the ball at their feet. they the clubs now maybe pick and choose the clubs a little bit better based on the style of football that those clubs um, that those clubs play. But um, I guess League Two, League One back then was very, sort of much of a muchness. Really, it was kind of you know it was a fight, it was a battle, and and that's what it was. It just, I mean, I did learn, I learned a lot from them, so I can I can take sort of a, a lot from it. But I just felt to get the best out of me, probably send me to to a different club who sort of play a similar style of football to what Fulham were at the time. That's just, that's just my experience yeah. from speaking from my experience and what I, what I think how the loan system should be. Do you know what I mean? Because if you yeah. get a player coming in that, that plays that style of football, at his parent club comes into your club, he's going to fit in, fit in great. It was just, you know, it was difficult back then. It's the exact same, isn't it? As like, if, for example, the youth team play in a certain way and the first team play in a completely different way, it's just like, it doesn't really yeah. make sense, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah, that's what I mean. You've got to have, if you've, yeah, the first team play in a certain way, you might, you, you're best off having the youth team play in a certain way, especially if you're trying to pr- promote your youth. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, th- yeah, I think that's how that should sort of work out in the loan system. You're not going to get it right all the time, mm-hmm. but you sort of try and get your best, uh, try and get the best fit for the for that player. Well, Rob, you're back to Craven Cottage, February 2009. Roy Hodgson's got you back in the setup, and it's your second first team appearance. You're coming off the bench to replace Danny Murphy for the last 10 minutes as Fulham go down 3 0 Old Trafford to a Man United team boasting the likes of Rio Ferdinand, Scholes, Berbatov, and Cristiano Ronaldo, to name but a few. This probably doesn't compare to our Thursday night games at goals our five-a-side game, but can you talk us through that moment when you realised you are about to come on in front of, what, 75,000 people at one of the most famous stadiums in the world? Yeah, mad. Yeah, it was a long time ago now, but, um, yeah, surreal. You know, you sort of, 
warming up out there on that pitch and you know them players that you're playing against uh, if they're kind of not real <laughs> you know what I mean you see you see them that often it's sort of almost strange when you see them up close um, but yeah I remember getting told to warm up and obviously <clears throat> nerves are kicking in and you're kind of excited you're thinking wow what a, what a place to make my Premier League debut you know like you sort of <laughs> can't get any better really uh, especially at that time they think they're off the back or they won everything yeah that would have been around then yeah exactly well, I think they had just won the European Cup the year before hadn't they yeah I think so yeah so yeah surreal I came on tried to enjoy it as, as much as I could as you can imagine they probably had the ball a lot more than we did <laughs> um, I just tried to get about the pitch you know sort of do my bit for the team and just try and just try and impress as much as I could um, I think we was Three 0 down when I came on, so the game was sort of done by then, I suppose. Um, but you know, I just tried to run about, do my bit for the team, and just try and impress the manager as much as I could, really. But um, yeah, what a uh, what a day! It's only downhill from there, really, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at that point there, we'll come on to I guess the injury in a minute. But after that happens, are you then thinking, right, cool, this is now my time, my opportunity to really show that what I can do and that I belong in the first team picture here at Fulham. Yeah, I mean, like, I was doing really well in training, you know, sort of like the senior pros were always sort of keeping on top of me, saying, listen, you're doing, like, you're doing great, you're going to get, you're going to get your chance soon. Obviously, that, I came on against Man United, thought I did okay in the sort of short period that I was on, and, you know, you're then sort of hoping for for another opportunity. In a, in, in a way, you're just hoping for, like, an injury or a suspension or something like that, just something just to sort of get, get that opportunity um and I and I felt and I felt comfortable enough I felt good in training I felt like I was I was doing really well and I was and I was felt ready now for the for that opportunity to come and then I guess cruelly though I think it's just a week after you came on at Old Trafford um you suffer a really bad injury which would rule you out for the rest of the the 2008-2009 campaign I mean you just touched on it there but I mean how big a blow is that at that point oh yeah massive like I sort of remember now. I was only I was only supposed to play. I think I was I was only supposed to play an hour because um, they said, "Oh, Rob, like play an hour for the resis on Tuesday, and then you'll be back in training with the first team tomorrow, ready to be involved in the squad on Saturday." So I was like, "All right, that's fine." And then must have been like the fifty something minute. It was not. It was a nothing. It, nothing really tackled, to be honest. I think the the lad in front of me was playing Arsenal. And, he had the ball and I just tried to poke the sort of poke the ball away sort of through his legs. And as I did that, he sort of lent his body into, into my knee and then it kind of buckled to the side. And uh it just sounded like a shin pad sort of snapping. It didn't really hurt, it didn't hurt, like really hurt, but I knew sort of straight away I was sort of went down and then I was kind of like, oof, I don't know what that was. And then I sort of went to stand up and everything was just wobbly I was thinking oh no what have I done here and then the sort of physio come on they do their tests and do one test and they're giving it sort of the sub sign I'm thinking oh shit like definitely done something here so he take you back into the physio room and then tell you um, yeah it was difficult difficult time because obviously I felt like I was just about to get that you know that real opportunity and mm. yeah next day you're away for scans obviously you get the scan results you know, you've done your ACL and then it's just about trying to get your head straight and crack on with doing your rehab. 
yeah, after you've you've done your rehab and you return to fitness, uh, I think you start to impress the reserves again and you go back out on loan. This time you're off to TPS in Finland. How did that come about? And were, were you a little apprehensive maybe about going so far off the beaten track? Or like you'd mentioned previously, did you actually maybe see this as a slightly better fit than going down to a League One or a League Two again? Yeah, it came about because um, obviously Roy Hodgson used to be the Finland national team manager. Yeah. And then he obviously had contacts with uh, a couple of the clubs out there. So it was when I was getting fit, it was coming towards the end of that season. And the Finnish season starts sort of as our English-Scottish season finishes. So essentially, yeah. So essentially I was basically going out there to try and get myself back fit again, sharp again, and just try and play as many many games as I could in sort of a four-month Four months. So I went sort of like a couple, I don't know, a month before the end of the season. And then I came back at the start of the actual season. So obviously I didn't do pre-season, but I was playing, I was playing out there. And yeah, I went out there and it was great. I loved it. First couple of weeks was hard. It was that remember that ash cloud that came over and all the yeah. flights were. Yeah, so my flight was the last <laughs> flight out of Heathrow. So I went, so I had a connecting flight from Copenhagen. I got, so I got to Copenhagen, got on a connecting flight to Turku. The, that was the city I was staying in. Yeah, luggage nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had the first couple of weeks, I didn't have anything apart from the tracksuit and my phone, I think. <laughs> so I remember going to the airport and we, <clears throat> a guy picked me up from the airport, took, took us to... Uh, where they train and you know he's like oh you got your boots I'm like no got not, I literally had nothing um, took me out for some food and then they had like a dinner in the evening if you got any shoes a suit I had literally nothing I think this guy from the shop was like going and getting me like some shoes from like Finland's version of Asda or something so I, like, <laughs> I just looked I looked awful uh, for a couple of weeks but um no, I enjoyed it. It was it was it was uh, it was summer out there when I was out there, so the the weather was warm. Like yeah, like you said, the the football probably suited me a little bit better. You know, the ball was on the floor a little bit, a lot more. Um, <clears throat> you know, we played in Europa League qualifiers as well, which was good experience. We had got knocked out by Circular Bruges on away goals, uh, which was disappointing because we uh, we dominated both the legs. To be honest. Um, but no, I enjoyed it. I had some long, long coach journeys. I remember some like, like 12 hour coach journeys. I'm like, what am I going to do for these 12 hour coach journeys? But um, no, I really enjoyed it. There's another English lad in my team, actually, who, who was great because he had to translate everything for me. Um, but no, it was, a, it was a great experience and I'm delighted I did that because it got me right back up to speed as well. Like, got me, I think I played about 18 games that week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it got me back. Uh, sharp and sort of confident within my knee again you know sort of being out was just somewhere completely different where you can just you know there wasn't that huge pressure or anything like that you know if I had a bad game I kind of knew I was playing again and it was more you know just about me getting my myself back fit again which was a uh, which was good yeah you make the most of your opportunity and then you return back to Fulham ahead of the 2010-11 season but it's a challenge to force your way into the first team picture. I mean, you can just go back and look at Wikipedia at the squad Fulham had. It's a lot of established, experienced players. It was going to be hard, for, I think, for any young player to make their way into that team. Uh, January, the window rolls around and you're now six months away from your contract finishing. 
are you starting to make plans for you know the next step of your career are you pushing for to go on loan to perhaps even be like perhaps move on a permanent basis at that point yeah i mean yeah when i was when i was out in finland that was when roy left to go to liverpool Mm-hmm. So I was kind of gutted because I was kind of gutted, really. You know, sort of he set up this low move and, you know, sort of said, get yourself fit. And then we come back and then we sort of assess where you're at. And, you know, I sort of like dangle a carrot in front of me almost. You know what I mean? Like, go and get yourself fit and then come back. And then we'll see. Hopefully, I'll sort of force my way back into Fulham squad and whatever. But if, yeah, if he, he went to Liverpool at that time and, and Mark Hughes came in and they had to name a 25. They had to name a sort of a 25-man squad. And obviously, I, w- I wasn't there. I was in Finland yeah. for that whole time. Uh, you know, during the pre-season where he's making decisions on people, I was still out playing in Finland. So I was 22, 23 now, I think. And obviously, I had to be named in that 25-man squad. So I wasn't I wasn't named in that in that 25-man squad. So it was just about get, getting back and then getting out on loan. Or, yeah, I think I wanted a loan again maybe just because I, I still had that, you know, kind of in me that I can I could break into this sort of Fulham sort of squad and whatever. So maybe it was, a, I was, they were looking at more of a loan, um, but nothing, they sort of, Mark Hughes spoke to me and said, you know, if, if I'm going to go on loan and I'm, they want to have a good look at me, then it would have to be a championship loan. Um, obviously playing at that level for them to proper get a good idea of where I'm at. Yeah, and uh, there wasn't particularly much interest, if I'm honest. Um, which I don't blame any of the clubs. You know, I haven't played for, in their eyes, sort of over twelve months. You know, obviously, no one would particularly have seen my games out in Finland. So, so I just stayed. I, they were great with me, though. To be fair, I was still trained with the first team, bearing in mind I wasn't in the twenty-five man squad. And then, obviously, I was playing for the reserves, and and then it was just about you know January, making sure that I did get out then. Because yeah, it was obviously crucial now that I really needed to kickstart my career and get it going. So um, yeah, that's when Aberdeen came up. Yeah, so 13th of January, uh, 2011, it was announced at that point you signed for Aberdeen, and that was initially on a deal to the end of the season. So I guess just talk to us, Rob about how that move to Aberdeen came about, and then what where was the decision made about that being a, a permanent move for that six months rather than it being a loan? Yeah, so the. Uh, that January, you know, I had a couple of League One, League Two clubs sort of come in, and you know, I, you know, I just as I spoke about my experiences earlier, I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I didn't particularly enjoy that sort of the football. What I, what I experience, I know it's different at every club. Um, but then when Aberdeen came up, you know, I was like, I was really sort of excited by you know Scottish football. You know, you got your you got your big games in there, big stadiums, big crowds, things like that, stuff like that, you know, that, that you want to, that you want to do. So, um, it came about through a, um, I played a reserve team game, uh, at, at Everton. And, um, I think Craig Brown had just taken over the job. Yeah. He would have done the yeah, outright. Yeah. Yeah. And Craig obviously had a good relationship with David Moyes and Billy McKinley, which is obviously my reserve team manager. And I think he spoke to David Moyes, said, uh, you know, have you got any, any, boys at Everton and he'd watched the game and said, oh, maybe speak to Billy. Um, there was a boy playing today that could be an option. Spoke to Billy. who was obviously a good fit. You know, Billy spoke highly of Craig Brown to me and, you know, spoke of his time in Scottish football. He'd obviously spoken to me about that before and he just said, like, is it something that you want to do? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So, um, yeah, the clubs obviously agreed and sort of, uh, 
yeah, it was it was a deal until the end of the season. You know, my contract was up at Aberdeen, uh, at Fulham anyway. So it was, it was no different from being a permanent or a loan, to be honest. So yeah, but I was more than happy to to go up there, and then, and I knew that it was sort of an important step. I really had to do well now because you know I was getting older and I hadn't played many games, and that seemed to be the sticking point. You know, I had sort of 23, 24 and didn't really have many games under my belt, and that's what these teams were after. What experience you got? Have you played hundred games? And and I hadn't for for numerous reasons. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, I was excited by the challenge of going to going to Aberdeen. Did Craig Brown have to do much to convince you to come to Aberdeen? It's quite a trek from Fulham to Aberdeen. So, or were you just happy to basically the opportunity to restart? No, not really. I don't think I even had a chat with him before I went there. <laughs> 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 to be honest, like obviously I knew I knew of Craig Brown. You know what I mean? Being the Scotland manager and stuff like that, yeah. I knew he had a good. I knew who he was and <clears throat> stuff like that. So, no, not really. You know, the opportunity came up. I knew that I needed to go and play football. It seemed like a good fit. I wanted to to challenge myself in in Scotland, and I liked what I'd seen on on TV and whatnot. So, no, I was. It all happened within hours, really. I think I got a phone call in the morning uh, to say that it was happening, and then I was on a flight that evening up to Aberdeen. Yeah, that is quick. Yeah, that. Was, I think it was a Wednesday, and then I was in training on Thursday. Friday and then played on Saturday. Yeah. And, I to, and I had to get a flight back to London to get the rest of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, you want to talk about a change in uh, facilities. Where did, do you remember where you trained the first day with Aberdeen? Yeah, we trained at the barracks. Yeah. Which was fine. The surface was good. You know, it was obviously Fulham had a training ground and whatever, but, you know, I was, you went into the stadium and it's a great stadium. You get changed there and you just jump on the minibus. It was quite good fun. Do you know what I mean? You get jump on the minibus with the lads and go down to the... There was the barracks and Bulgownie at the time. That's right, yeah. The two places we used to train. Yeah, and you go down there, do your training session, jump back on the bus, uh, the little minibus, and then go back, to the, go back to the stadium. I wonder in a way, actually, just you talking now, Rob, about that trip on the bus, you know, that I wonder if we're missing a little bit of that now at Aberdeen, like the kind of camaraderie that type of thing would build. We, you know, we've got the new state-of-the-art training facility and everything now, but it's different, isn't it? Players just arrive in their own time. They turn up when they want to. They just can leave when they want to. Okay, you'll have the dressing room banter and stuff and then the canteen and stuff. But when you're forced together into that kind of environment, and it probably just seems a bit mad, I guess, still at that point to be doing it. I wonder if we're missing out on that a little bit. Yeah, it's got its pros and cons. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, if you want to move at the times and the, yeah. the state of the art training ground, then yeah, you sort of, it's probably more important that you have you know the right facilities and stuff like that for the players now. But yeah, it was a it was good fun when you got Josh McGuinness and Chris McGuire shouting at people sort of <laughs> on, your, on your way back from training. Yeah, it was quite it was enjoyable. Um, it was always a laugh just sitting at the back of the bus listening to Josh <laughs> talking about whatever. <laughs> it was, yeah, like you said, it probably builds a bit of team spirit and camaraderie and stuff like that. So it didn't bother me at all, to be honest, jumping on them minibuses and, and whatever. Graham, I'm going to be really rude. I'm going to jump in here again because I feel we have to ask this question now. Just talk to Josh McGuinness, Rob. But like everyone who's a teammate of Josh has got a story. But I used to, so when I first signed for Aberdeen, I used to live in a house with Nick Blackman and Miles Anderson. Okay. And Josh used to, I don't think Josh used to sleep. 
It used to rock up. It used to come up. It used to come up to our house about six forty-five a.m. and just ring the doorbell like ding, 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 like constantly until one of us answered it, and then he would come in and just wake the rest of the house up, and then just go and it's just literally just raid our cupboards for whatever food he could have, and then <laughs> stick around for a bit, and then we also then we used to go in for training. Um, and I, what a guy, what a great character to have in a in the dressing room, you know, he was always up to something or had something funny to say. And <clears throat> I enjoyed my time with Josh. So uh, what did you know about Aberdeen as a club and a city and sort of Scottish football in general before you actually made the move here? If I'm being completely honest, not loads. You know, obviously what you see what you see on TV. You know more about the old firm than anyone else and the players. And obviously when they're playing in Europe, their games are televised a lot more and stuff like that. I knew I knew of the history of Aberdeen and Alex Ferguson, you know, winning uh, the trophies that they won. But I didn't realise sort of how big and successful the club was until I was in the building for a couple of weeks, if I'm being completely honest. Um, you know, it's a massive club and sort of what they achieved back then is it's, it's incredible, really. Uh, and then you've got some of the, the guys that were in that team. You know, there's they're always around the building and you get to have chats with them and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, it's crazy. You said there you knew of Craig Brown as being the Scotland manager. Uh, but what were your first impressions of he? And I guess maybe more pertinently, Archie Knox, once you'd had a couple of uh, training sessions with them. Yeah, no, Archie's got a, he's got a big reputation, hasn't he? Especially up in Scotland. But I think Archie had mellowed a little bit by the time that I got there. Um, you know, he still had his moments, don't get me wrong, but um, <clears throat> I think he had, he had mellowed a little bit by then. Very, very funny guy. Always got something funny to say. And then, yeah, no, Craig was great. He kind of, they weren't, you know, massive on tactics and stuff like that. He was just trying to get the best sort of team together. And then they kind of just allowed you to go out and just do your best and just try and express yourself, really. I never really got told sort of, you know, too much of, oh, you have to do this or you have to do that. It was kind of allowed you to go out there. And if, if they weren't happy with something, then they'd let you know about it. But um, no, it was, they were great, to be honest. We very recently spoke to Mark Reynolds um, mm. regarding Archie in particular. And he threw, I think, I don't know what you call it, a sense of PTSD, re-documented Archie's like peculiar dressing habits of like putting his socks and shoes on first and then his tie and shirt with no pants on uh so yeah we just want to know were you ever on the receiving end of a hairdryer treatment from a half naked archie knox yeah archie used to get dressed like back to front i don't know about everyone else but you know you sort of put your your boxes on and your trousers and socks or t-shirt first right yeah 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 i mean archie used to get like sort of put his get dressed sort of like used to put everything on the top and then he'd sort of put his socks and shoes on and then but he'd still be star bollock naked like well not like he's everything's <laughs> hanging out basically <laughs> and then you know like Craig Brown would be saying what he have to he'd have to say and then but whilst he was talking sort of Archie was getting changed and then he would sort of stand up if he felt like he had something to say he'd just sort of stand up mid getting changed and just sort of have his say when you kind of didn't really know where to look to be honest you're like, 
<laughs> also, yeah, Mark was saying that, as well, yeah, you're, just, all, you're all at eye level, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's what I mean. Yeah, you're all sitting down on the sort of bench at the side getting changed and he, and he stands up. <laughs> yeah, it was just... I don't, know why he, I don't know why he used to do that. No one ever said anything, though, so maybe he just thought it was normal. <laughs> <laughs> I've, just re- I've just actually put two and two, two and two together and remembered that Archie Knox and Josh McGuinness were in the same building at the same time an awful lot. There must have been some absolute sparks flying between those two, I imagine. Archie loved Josh and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Like, I think Archie really enjoyed, you know, sort of like the banter with Josh and kind of winding him up and, and stuff like that. And it, it was kind of vice versa. Like, obviously, Josh had huge respect for Archie and, you know, he, he sort of, he wouldn't go at him as as sort of harshly as Archie would Josh. But no, I think they, I think they had a good relationship. He, obviously, if Josh wasn't doing his work yeah. on the pitch, then Archie would, would have his say. But in training, uh, yeah, I think it was them, them two are quite quite funny together. I love that. It's like proper odd couple stuff, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Love it. So um, you talked about it earlier on. I mean, obviously, you joined, I think, on the Wednesday, uh, training Thursday, Friday, into the, into the game on Saturday. It's uh, straight into the starting lineup. you know. Don't have to worry about that. Uh, a 2-0 home victory at St Mirren uh, Scott Vernon double uh, Sauce get three points you played the full 90 minutes what were the initial impressions of Scottish football and I guess the quality of the team that you'd joined up with at that point yeah I mean I think I think obviously I was just I was just new to the team so I didn't I hadn't realised you know sort of what had gone on for the sort of first half of the season or anything like that I wasn't you know exposed to necessarily the negativity or whatever had gone on you know I was just going it was an it was a fresh start for me a new challenge and I'd gone straight into that team and you know I thought I, that obviously we, I thought we played really well that game you know we won for 2-0 fairly comfortably um, yeah Scotty played Scotty played really well scored the two goals I can't really remember like two loads from the game or anything like that Yeah. Um, obviously I remember the scoreline because it was my debut and whatnot. Um, but yeah, yeah, I thought I was coming into a sort of a good team. You know, you can tell within training and within a couple of days, you know, there's some good players here. I'm surprised sort of where they are in the table. But once again, I was still, you know, kind of, I knew the old firm, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't really know the players from the other teams and and stuff like that. So you're kind of trying to figure out sort of where's this, where's this team sort of at really, like, but um, no, from that game, I was, you can tell you're playing with some good players and I thought we'd, we'd kick on. And on a personal level, you know, given the injury issues you've had, you must have just been delighted to have played the full game on your debut. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd had that, you know, obviously that time in Finland and probably another 10, 15 games playing for the reserves before I came to Aberdeen. So I was, I was, I was confident in my body again. You know, I knew I was fit. We used to have all the GPS and all that sort of stuff at Fulham. So I knew that I was sort of at where I needed to be at um, before I joined the club. But yeah, that was that was it really. And I was just buzzing to be playing football again. You know, I, I think it was 12 months I was out with my knee. So I was just, you know, I was just delighted to be playing football again. And and, uh, and that was it, and that was it really. You'd uh, you'd mentioned that things hadn't been going particularly well um, before Archie and Craig arrived um, having you know, arrived just a couple of weeks before they signed you did they have a particular mantra or anything you know in terms of targets or was it just we're in a bit, bit of a bind here let's just get as many points to the board as we can and push up 
Yeah, no, there wasn't any meetings to say, you know, we need to get to X amount of points or we need to <clears throat> reach a certain spot in the table or anything like that. It was just, I think when they came in, it was just about, you know, steadying the ship a little bit, getting back to basics and, you know, just trying to trying to kick on and win some games and just make sure that we wasn't sort of in any danger, which I don't think we were any towards the end of that season. It was fairly comfortable, I think. I can't yeah. remember exactly where we were, but... Um, and I think essentially when they come in, they did the job that they was needed to do to, for the, for that season, uh, for where they were at in January. And then, you know, obviously the expectation then is for next is for the next season to then, you know, really kick on and, and try and, and try and do well. So just a couple of weeks after you'd signed Aberdeen head to Hamden for a league cup semi-final against an inform Celtic side, probably wouldn't dwell on the game too much. I think we were, four down after about 35 minutes. But uh, what were your first impressions of getting to play at Hamden? Yeah, it was massive. Um, yeah, I loved it. Obviously, the result. Did someone get sent off early? Is that the game Cotsley got sent off? No, no. Andy gets sent off in the Scottish Cup semi about three or four weeks later again. But we, we played Celtic. Right. The bad thing, I can't place which four goal hammering this is by Celtic, isn't it? <laughs> there, was, there, was two, there was two, wasn't there? there was, yeah. Uh, the two semi-finals, both against Celtic, that's, that's right, the same yeah. season. Um, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, it was massive. You know, the packed Hamden, obviously the results didn't go our way, but yeah, what an experience. What games, sort of, they're the games that you want to play in when you're a kid, you know, then big games, the, obviously you want to get to a final, but, you know, to play at Hamden and, you know, that's, that's you know, so they're the, the games where you realise how big Aberdeen is and, you know, sort of like the, the following that they bring to them, brought to those games, um, yeah, it was massive. You basically become a mainstay of the side, Rob, um, till the end of the season, and you grabbed your first goal for the club in a three-two defeat at St Mirren in April. It's a a late consolation, but a fine strike altogether. Um, can you remember much about that? Um, what was the score? Can you remember the score? Okay. It was three-two to St Mirren. Was it? Yeah, I think it was. It was in the last minute, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was obviously. I was delighted to get the goal. I mean, it's not not the greatest of results. I don't think the keeper did. I don't think I don't, I don't actually think it was that great of a strike to be honest. From what I remember, the keeper didn't do great, but I could I could be wrong. I thought it was a pretty good hit. I think you're right. Yeah. I think the keeper maybe didn't cover himself in glory. Too hot to handle. Yeah, I don't score many goals, so um, yeah, it was important for me to to get that goal and. That's quite a big. It was the first, the first goal of my sort of professional career. So, yeah, it's one that I remember. And as we've just mentioned, um, April it's another semi final at Hamden Scottish Cup with Celtic. Um, also, we know the result. We know what happened. Um, but was there? Do you remember there being much in the way of a difference and a change or a change in the build up from Archie and Craig? Um, maybe to put right the wrongs of that first semi final. The second time around, we travelled down maybe a day earlier, possibly, and we trained somewhere else. I don't know if that was anything to do with changing sort of the way that he wants to do things or the way to play or if he had any superstitions or anything like that. You know, them games are tough games. Celtic had a good team then. Mm-hmm. What was, do you remember the score of the second game? Was that the one? 4-0 again. I mean, it's it's just what we talked about. It's like... Things can't get off to a worse start in this one. Andy's a judge to yeah. I think it was Gary Hooper, and he's 
as, as I recall, Willie Colm couldn't wait to pull his red card out. I think he'd actually sent Andy off before he'd blown for the penalty kick. I genuinely recall this. Right. And I mean, just as a player, what's your thoughts there? I mean, you, you kind of, you've touched on it. You're kind of up against that to an extent anyway. To be down to 10 men after 18 minutes in a cup semi-finals, just... Yeah, I mean, when you're playing in a game like that and you're playing against a team, a good team anyway, to go down to 10 men early, you're thinking, oh no, like... This is going to be this is going to be tough now. You know, sort of the way that they played, it was sort of very possession based. You know, to try and get about, try and get about them when you've only got ten men is difficult. Um, yeah, disappointing. Yeah, just, just disappointing, really. Do you know what I mean? Like that was they were two big opportunities to mm-hmm. to get to a final. Uh, I know they was both against a, a good side and stuff, but you know, I think the the score lines both times are. And not great, really, are they? Yeah, should have really put up a put up a better fight, really. I mean, this the second semi final is an interesting one because we are we're down to ten men after eighteen minutes. Or yeah, so. I mean, the, yeah, the second one, I suppose, if you've got ten men, then you can kind of understand it a little bit. But maybe the yeah. first one, you need to be doing a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, Jamie Lyfield, I think, makes a good save from the penalty kick in that one, um, and we we end up holding out for the whole for the first half. We go in at nil nil, and it's only in the second half that the extra man kind of starts to take his toll. And Ham does a big pitch, big wide pitch. Still like a very possession based team, like you say. So it's it's kind of almost natural that people are going to tie it, etc. Celtic eventually run out four nil winners in that one. But just a couple of days after that game, it's announced you'd signed a new two year deal with the with the club. For you, was that a relatively easy decision for you to make, or? Did you have interest anywhere else and still decided actually Aberdeen's where I want to stay for a bit? Um, I, I can't really remember, to be honest. I know that I was I was happy where I was and I was I was playing regularly and that's, that's essentially what you want as a player. You want to be playing and I was enjoying my time there. And yeah, I was more than happy to sign a new deal. I was like, obviously I was on a six-month deal. My contract was up at the end of the season to get offered that two-year deal and to to kick on and progress and stay at this club, which I was, in, I was enjoying, you know, I was enjoying living in, living in the city as well. That was important. Um, so now, yeah, I was more than happy to sign, sign that contract. The, the season kind of petered out a little bit after the, um, the cup match. I think we eventually finished ninth, comfortably, comfortably uh, clear of the drop zone, which was a real threat at one point. Um, but from a personal point of view, you made 23 appearances since coming in. So I'm guessing you were probably quite happy with that. I mean, you mentioned earlier, maybe opportunities didn't come your way because you didn't have that 100 games under your belt type thing. But at least now you are starting to rack up some some games and get good experience. Yeah, that was important for me personally, you know, to sort of wrap up that amount of games in, you know, from sort of end of January to the end of the season. was quite a lot of games, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, and obviously to stay fit throughout that time and you know I had full confidence in my body again I was fit and um, yeah that was that was that was big for me at that at that time yeah you're right so going into the next campaign what were the aims and targets from the management team for the season ahead I mean presumably wanting to push on from where they'd finished up yeah I think once again it wasn't necessarily a chat of we want to finish here or there but we had a we had a good pre-season. We used to go away to Holland and Germany and play some games out there. And then we came back from the start and we got off to a tricky start, didn't we? Didn't win for it was a bit iffy, yeah. Three or four games. It was a couple of draws, maybe. We didn't win yeah. for three, four games. But once again, you're looking sort of around the team and you've got good players there. Um, so you're thinking really that 
you know we should be we should be doing more here because we we had a good we had a good uh, what I thought was a good team to be honest. Yeah, I mean in that summer preseason as well, it's it's obviously Craig and Archie's first summer at Aberdeen, and they kind of bring in a host of new players at that point, um, including Carrie Arnson, who you end up striking up a really good relationship in the centre of the park with. Um, we spoke about it before we started recording, but how did you get on with Carrie uh, off the field as well? Yeah, great. You know, Carrie's uh, and obviously know him well. Uh, played with him. At, obviously, I went on to play with him at Rotherham as well. And you know, you can tell from when someone comes in, they got that, you know, that determination and that you know will to win, and that and they're the sort of players that you want in your team. You know, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of admiration for Carrie, and I think he's a great player, and you know, he's a he's a great guy off the pitch as well. You had him and Isaac Osborne as well. Of course, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, yeah, because obviously I, I was predominantly playing in middle in the in midfield at the start of that season, and I was then playing out on left, left on the yeah. left side, and then Isaac was playing in in the middle of the pitch with Kari. So it was obviously two solid big lads in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, both go both good players as well. I was going to say Isaac was a good player, wasn't he? Just got he was yeah. tidy, yeah. Just a bit unlucky with injuries, wasn't he? Yeah, it was the same. I mean, for the last six months I was at the club. Me and Isaac used to live together. Yeah, he was a he was a very good player on his day. You know, he won't go into a fifty-fifty with him. So yeah, no, the both of them. Uh, you know, there's very solid, look after the ball well. And then I was just hoping I sort of, sort of come in off the left a little bit and, you know, try and create from that side of the pitch. And obviously I have Richard Foster on my playing left back behind me. He sort of create that width and try and try and get down the outside and I would try and come inside uh, the pitch a little bit more at that time. How did you feel about shifting out to the left wing? I thought I thought I was more productive sort of in the middle of the pitch. But I think at the time he was just sort of trying to fit what he thought was his better players sort of into a, into an eleven, and you know that included Isaac and Barney. So I think me, I think Fraser was playing on the right. I was playing on the left. That's right. Isaac and Arnie in the middle, and he was, he was obviously just trying to find you know what he what the manager thought at that time was his best sort of best players, and then trying to fit him into a into the team. So I know I was, more, I, was more, I was obviously more than happy to play out on the left. I think I was more productive when I played in the middle of the pitch but you know I was more than happy to go and play there for the team so and yeah Craig Brown he maintains his trust and faith in you you're pretty much an ever present in the side for the start of the campaign and you score your first goal Pataudry on the 20th of August in a 2-1 win over Inverness Cali I mean at this point you know you must just be really happy with how things are progressing and must feel like your career is really back on track at this point yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there's a goal crossed by the cross by Josh, I think, and then got across my man for a, sort of a tap in. And yeah, I was really enjoying my football. I felt fit, confident. You know, I went out on the pitch, you know, feeling feeling good and confident that I could that I could go on and really kick on. You know, I always was really trying to progress my game and you know trying to work hard in training and to sort of try and you know be the sort of the best I think when you miss a lot of football it really like sort of changes that with that injury you know really sort of like changed my mentality and from then you realise how sort of special it is playing football and mm. 
yeah, no, I felt at that at that that sort of time. I felt I felt good. Well, fast forward to it was the 29th of October 2011. Uh, we got a home fixture against Rangers. Before we get to the game itself, uh, in terms of the the build up to that game, uh, were the players really sort of aware how big that is and what it means to the supporters? Yeah, uh, Craig Brown. I think obviously the Scottish lads know exactly how big a game is against Rangers. Um, for the English lads, maybe you need to get. Uh, he certainly lets know. I remember Nick Blackman like wearing some like orange boots. I remember <laughs> Craig Brown telling him like, "Listen, you can't wear them boots." Like, and we're sort of looking at each other like, "Why? Why can't you wear orange boots?" And, and then you, and then you obviously then get told you know sort of the history, this, that, and the other. And, yeah. I don't know if I could say that on here, but yeah, of course you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's 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 not a part of Scottish football anyone should be proud of, but it's part of the game, unfortunately. Yeah, so. but obviously these are the sort of things as a like growing up in England and predominantly watching the English Premier League. These are the sort of things that you're learning, you know, like the yeah that that sort of stuff and that sort of side, and you know the the rivalries between certain players and certain. But like, I wouldn't I wouldn't known that Aberdeen had a huge rivalry with Rangers before I came. You know, I'm like you, you. I picked up pretty quick, pretty quickly that there was one with Dundee United, and then and then obviously and then Rangers. It seemed like there was a rivalry every week. <laughs> Someone. That's Aberdonians for us, you know. We we, we, <laughs> we we do sometimes have a chip on our shoulder. It's fair to say, but I mean, the game itself um, is is pretty much remembered to this day only for one thing, and that's the absolute shock of a tackle that Stephen Naismith sticks on you. Um, you end up having to leave the field. Uh, he has to do similar as well a couple of minutes later. I mean, were you aware at the time as to just how bad a tackle it was? And then afterwards, what's running through your mind as a player? I mean, you've just managed to get yourself really back into a run of games since you joined Aberdeen with a new club, and then someone comes in with a tackle like that on you. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was playing really well in that game as well. Uh, the game was on telly, I think. It was, yeah, you're right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I watched it back. I was having a good game, and yeah, it was a it was a bad tackle. I mean, like I've seen it back quite a few times, and there was close ups on TV, and he sort of really came over the top of the ball and uh, hurt my ankle. But I felt like all the sort of focus was on him. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, and his sort of like injury. Obviously, he was doing really well at Rangers at the time, and he was a big player in Scottish football. And I felt like obviously he did. He did his knee tackling me, but it wasn't. I felt like sometimes it was a little bit like I'd done it to him. Do you know what I mean? Like I felt like it was I was to blame for him doing his knee, and it it was him going on the top over the top of the ball and hurting me, which resulted in in him hurting himself. But that's that's I don't know. That's how it felt a little bit to me. That that's how it got portrayed a little bit. You're not wrong about that because when I was going back through doing like some of the research for 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 talking to you tonight, I went back and I looked through a bunch of the articles from around the time in Sky Sports News, like headlines and stuff, and everything's about his injury. And the injury to you is like an afterthought in, in all of it. And it's always like, did anyone watch the game? Has anyone actually watched the incident again? Because, okay, yeah, he does his knee in and he's out for a long time off the back of that. But it's a it's a it's an awful tackle. And this is something I've never quite understood, and it's it's good to get a chance to talk about this with you, Rob. When a fellow professional does something like that, what's that like? You know, like because that's not something we or anyone listening to this podcast who's not played professional football can kind of relate to. Because 
no one in my office is coming over the top of the desk at me. Well, hopefully not. Maybe there's a few that might like to, but you know, there's that kind of professional, I don't know, respect, whatever. What What is that like? Yeah. I mean, obviously I remember it happening. The thing is that at the time I, he's come over the ball. I'm fully aware that I've, I've hurt my ankle like, and it's sore. So I'm now just more focused on myself and, sort of looking down at my ankle, what's going on with it. And I remember Carlos Bocanegra was playing for Rangers That's at right, the time. Yeah. And I actually used to clean his boots at Fulham. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he, funny enough, came over to me, sort of was like, you all right? Sort of thing. And it's like, no, not really. And then, <laughs> and then I'm, you know, you're not really, I'm not really thinking about the tackle, to be honest. I'm just yeah. thinking what have I done? Like, can I carry on? Can I not? Obviously physios come on. I then go to the side of the pitch, take my sock off, sort of blood pouring out. I rolled my ankle probably. Um, it wasn't like, I don't, I don't think I was actually out that long with that. I was only out for a week maybe or something, but two weeks. Yeah. You were lucky because you hadn't planted your, you hadn't planted your foot at the time. If, if your foot was planted, that's a, that's an ankle break. I know. It, you know it, what, it was planted. I just don't know how I didn't manage to, it, I don't. I have no idea how I managed to not break it. Like I was lucky in a sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, I've obviously gone off the pitch, and then, then obviously he's carried on. And then I think what's happened is all the images were then of of when he's been past the ball, and then he's obviously knees wobbled, and then he's fallen over. So I think then all the images from the game was how when Stephen Naismith did his knee uh, hurt his knee was of that image rather than the tackle. Yeah. So I think maybe that's how he got lost a little bit with, you know, it became about him. But to be fair to him, um, uh, David Wiley, the physio, was uh, used to do some work with Scotland and he said to him to apologise to me for the tackle and and whatnot. So, you know, but obviously it wasn't a great tackle, but sort of no hard feelings really. Like we say, the injury miraculously sees you only miss out on a month's worth of football um, and you get yourself back in the team straight away for the New Year's Day fixture at Tannadice on, well, New Year's Day fixture on the 2nd of January. Uh, so your 25th birthday. And this game is mainly remembered by Aberdeen fans for what Gary's documented here as Caddy Arneson's thunder bastard of a goal. Yeah. Late what in the game. Oh, what a goal. What a hit. Yeah, what a hit. Um, sees the Dons pick up all three points. Um, so did you pick, but did you pick up an injury in that game as well? Yeah, so that's where that's sort of the game where it all started with my injury problems. And mm-hmm. I took a corner. I took a corner and then some the ball's got headed out. Someone's given me the ball back and I was offside. I've put my foot on the ball and then Johnny Russell's just come steaming into me at 100 mile an hour to take the ball off of me. But I was just like, I had my foot on the ball. I wasn't trying to kick it away or anything. And he just he sort of came flying in from the side. It wasn't even like the game stopped. Mm-hmm. and just sort of clattered my knee from the outside and my standing foot was stuck in the floor. Yeah, it tore my, tore my meniscus. I tried carrying on for about 10 minutes, but I was running around just sort of hoping that it would go back to normal. But um, I kind of knew that, yeah, something wasn't right. Yeah, I mean, I guess, what, you've, you've just dodged a bullet with the nation yeah. tackle and then this happens. I mean... We've talked with a couple of people who've gone through serious injuries, but from your personal experience, just how mentally taxing is it for you to suffer that and know how serious the injury is, and especially given 
your history. Yeah, I mean, once you've had the sort of scans and you know what it is, and you're just thinking, oh no, not again. Like, essentially, it's sort of like a a four month injury, but you know, there's a lot of complications with it, and, it's, and I had sort of a couple of complications with my previous knee and the cartilage, which I did as well as the ACL. Yeah, I was just gutted to be honest. You just like, oh, how can this be happening? You know, I was, I hadn't barely missed a game for what over a year since I signed to the club. I think I probably started near enough every single one right yeah and things were going yeah things were going great and you know when you get the scan results back and yes it's just just gutting really and like you say it's entirely needless as well oh yeah it was a gear the game had stopped and yeah you sort of overthink a little bit well just just kick the ball away and just run back (laughs) but you know it's hindsight isn't it so after um you know, working hard and you get back to fitness, you you play most of the preseason games running up to the 2012-13 campaign, but unfortunately the injury flares up again. Uh, and I think you're out for a month before you come off the bench against Hibs on the 29th of September, missing for another month, unfortunately, until a fixture at Tanadice, um, before missing out, I think until January actually, which is about a year to the day from your original injury. Um, you come off then the bench and you play for the final minutes in a, a 2-2 draw with Dundee United. Am I right in thinking that you then had to go for an operation after that to sort things out? Yeah, you know, I can't I can't really remember like the exact timings of of things that happened. Um I know that so I had roughly about four months after the operation. Then I came back and then I think it was like my first or second training session I sort of stretched for a ball and then I not as bad, but I retore sort of what they had operated on. Like, not to the extent that I did it first time, but it still required another procedure. So I remember that, and then I felt good then after that. And I was playing a few games, like 23s games and stuff like that. And then randomly, my knee just started swelling all the time. And I was obviously thinking, like, what is this? What's going on here? Like... So I was very stop-start then. I mean, that was maybe the time when I was played a few games, then didn't. And and then it was just unlucky, really. Like a, a cyst had grown on on the meniscus, um, which can happen sometimes just from surgery. And it was just, obviously, when I was playing, it was just rubbing against the joint and obviously causing it to swell up all the time. But, you know, like the, the swelling sort of the indicator that something's wrong uh, at the time. And obviously... You, sort of worrying that it's something other that you, you don't really think, obviously you think it's going to be a, a cyst. Um, but yeah, a cyst had grown on the, and then that that needed to be removed surgically as well. So then that was another, you know, sort of they say six weeks, but it's not really because you've got to get yourself fit again. Uh, so I think all in all, it was about 10 months on and off before I was sort of fully fit again. It was a difficult, difficult period. Um, I mean, you can tell from your voice that was difficult for you. Oh, yeah. It was just, yeah, it was hard because obviously I was away from my family and stuff like that. You know, I was like, when I was playing and I was in in Aberdeen, it was, everything was great. You know, when you're going through a difficult time and you're not playing, you, you're doing a lot of your work on your own. Um, yeah, it can become, it, those are the times when it becomes, you know, like extremely difficult. You're sort of back at your flat on your own and you're thinking like, I've got more problems with my knee. What's going on? Like, and I'd be flying 
sort of back and forth from Aberdeen just to sort of try and get away for the weekend if they had an away game or something like that. And yeah, it was a it was a, a tough a tough time. From that point on, appearances they're a bit sporadic. Um, Aberdeen languish in the lower league reaches of the league. Um, interesting because we've spoken with a couple of guys in that squad, and it just the memory, the sentiment really is it's just a team that underachieved. I think it's yeah. fair to say. Um, and on the 14th of March, 2013, Craig Brown announced his intention to retire at the end of the season, indicating that he may go sooner if a successor was to be found. Was this a surprise to you guys in the dressing room? Um, yes and no. Uh, I mean, obviously the results weren't as good as they should be. Like you said, we had a good team and a good squad and we should we did definitely underachieve as a team. I know we got to another, we got to another semi-final as well against Hibs. That's right, yeah. Yep. That we got beat. Obviously, I wasn't involved that day, but um, yeah, I think we did underachieve as a team. And you know, obviously, being at Aberdeen, the expectation is to be, you know, sort of definitely up there, this third, fourth. It's not, it's not acceptable to be, especially outside the top six. So yes, it was obviously a bit of a, it was a bit of a shock, but at the same time, you know, results weren't really going our way. So um, in that sense, it wasn't. Yeah, that final season, it was just too many draws, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah it was a crazy number of draws. I don't, don't know exactly what it was, but yeah, it I think it's about 15 or something. Because it was like a crazy unbeaten run, but it mainly consisted of draws. I remember that much. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, what was your initial feelings um, with the news, given that Craig and Archie had brought you to the club? Yeah, you know, I was a bit gutted because they had obviously given me my opportunity and thought I, I thought I played pretty well, to be honest. And under them, when I when I was playing consistently and playing regularly, I thought I'd, I'd done well. I think you know when I sort of was coming back from my injury, I think the club probably lost a bit of um, a bit of faith in me, I guess. Um, and I could I could sense that <clears throat> I was trying to kick on, and you know I wasn't then getting sort of the opportunity to to play. And when I when I thought I maybe should, or and I think the club had lost a bit of yeah a bit of faith in me and and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I was when Derek McInnes come in. I was, but I was kind of looking forward to to playing under him. Yeah, I mean, it's just eleven days after Craig announces he's going to go at the end of the season. Might go a bit earlier if someone comes in. That it's announced that um, Derek and Tony Doherty are going to come in. They take charge of the kind of final five fixtures um, post split. You were involved in a few of those uh, fixtures towards the back end. First of all, what were your kind of initial impressions of Derek and Tony as guys to work under, and then? When they came in, did they give you any sort of indication that you know you'd be in their thoughts for the following campaign? Was it a chance for a clean slate for everyone who was there, or was it a bit of a feel already that they might have their eye on certain guys they might want to think about bringing in after the summer? Yeah, I mean, I can only obviously speak for myself, and uh, you know, when he came in, he sort of said you were one of the ones that sort of I was looking, I'm looking forward to working with, and you know, where you at fitness wise now, and sort of asking that question and. I was young and in hindsight, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. But I was probably, I wasn't really anywhere near sort of match fit at that time. Uh, I think I played in his first game against Hibs and I didn't do great, to be honest. But once again, I hadn't, I hadn't played like in quite a long time. I mean, I'd obviously try and keep myself fit as best as possible, but nothing quite compares to, you know, playing regular games and stuff like that. And then after that, I think I maybe came off the bench a couple of times um, but you know their, their training was good I remember they used to try and get us together um, to go for food together on Friday uh, which I liked 
his ideas, the way he wanted to play football, I think I think was excellent. And obviously, after that time I was there, they, just, they went on to have obviously a large part of a successful time under him, didn't they? I mean, this is obviously just a hypothetical question, but if Derek had presented you with a contract, would you have signed it to stay at Aberdeen? Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, well, I did, obviously, that, that when it comes to having convers- uh, the chat about a contract, you know, he just said, sort of, I think the club had probably lost a bit of faith in me, you know, like with all the operations and this, that and the other, which was understandable. But I was just desperate, you know, like just desperate to get back playing and, you know, sort of prove myself. Um, and the conversation was sort of like, we'll, we'll stay in contact over the summer. In hindsight, you know, he was he was looking for players that he wanted to sign, which is fair enough. That's And then he'd stay in contact with me, maybe if they didn't happen or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I went and spoke to Steve Evans at Rotherham and uh, I had a, and I rang Derek in the car on the way back and just said, "Listen, I've had a I've had a chat with Steve Evans at Rotherham. What do you think?" And he just said, "I think it's it's probably best that you sign there." So I was like, "All right, that's fine." And obviously that's what I did. But yeah, if, if that initial first conversation that we had at the end of the season there was a contract was there for me, then yeah, hundred percent I signed it. So as it is, your final appearance for Aberdeen comes on the 11th of May 2013. You come off the bench for the final half an hour and I think what was a pretty drab nil-nil draw with St Mirren. But what were your thoughts when you were leaving the field that afternoon knowing that you know that, that might be it? I can't really remember. I think as a player, you never really think like that's it. You know, I hadn't had, I don't, I hadn't had that conversation with yeah. the manager yet. So I probably wasn't thinking like that. I think I'd probably just try to use that half an hour to do as best as I could. And but obviously I hadn't had that conversation, so I didn't know I was essentially leaving. Yeah. So so you leave Aberdeen then. You'd, you'd made fifty nine appearances in total, scoring two goals in the process. Um, next up was that move to Rotherham United. You just spoke about there. You linked up with ex Don Carrie Arneson once again. An initial six month deal that was extended shortly afterwards after impressing. You eventually help Rotherham to promotion to the championship at the end of the 2014-14 season. Came off the bench at Wembley in their playoff win over Leighton Orient. After that, it was on to Notts County, uh, Crawley Town for a short period of time and then back to Notts County. And then at the end of the 18-19 season, you then joined uh, Sutton United, who were then of the National League, uh, where you remain to this day. And obviously last season was a really historic one for Sutton. Uh, winning the National League to secure English Football League status for the first time in the club's history. Just in terms of your overall career, Rob, where does that kind of rank in in your achievements, that promotion with Sutton last season? Yeah, it's right up there, definitely. You know, the National League has got to be probably the hardest league to get out of in world football. (laughs) I mean, one team get promoted automatically, one team go up from the playoffs, four go down. Yeah. You know, it's an extremely difficult league and it's an extremely competitive league. There's some big clubs in there now. You've got, obviously, Stockport, Notts County, Wrexham. You know, you've got some big clubs in there that have sort of, for whatever reason, fallen out of the football league. Yeah. So for Sutton, you know, a fairly smallish team for that for that division, it was it was huge for us to get to get promoted. So I think um, it's been quite a good campaign for Sutton United so far. I think at the time you record this, you're sitting third spot in League Two. I think you've got a game in hand over Northampton here in second, so pushing for that automatic uh, promotion place. So what are the club's aspirations for this season and beyond? I mean, the outside expectation, there isn't really an expectation 
to be honest. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, I think it was just from the outside, it was just, you know, stay, stay in the league, really. Um, but uh, we've got a really good group. I mean, it's a, a really exciting young group that I'm involved playing with and I'm, and I'm really enjoying it. So I think that our, we know as a team, you know, we were obviously going to go into this league and, and do the best we possibly could. I mean, playoffs were probably a, an aim amongst us ourselves. But, you know, now you're sort of sitting third. I mean, it's extremely tight from second to eighth. I think there's like two or three points in it. So, you know, it only takes a couple of results either way to to change things. But, you know, we take it game by game like we did last season. Um, we've got a sort of similar group as, as last season. Um, so we've definitely got that sort of winning mentality amongst us. I mean, it would be incredible if we could get promoted again. And of course, you've got another ex-Aberdeen player in the squad at Sutton at the moment as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Stuart Nelson. Yeah. That's one for the, I was going to say the younger listeners. No one will remember. I don't think, did Stuart Nelson even play a, a first team game for Aberdeen? He might have done. I remember watching him. I, I remember seeing him play, it was a reserve or youth team fixture up at Devon Vale. Graham, you might have been there with me, I think. I've never heard a goalkeeper talk so much in 90 minutes as as that man did that evening. That's my abiding memory of Stuart Nelson. There we go. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't, uh, he, he's only just signed to be fair. Uh, he hasn't, he hasn't made an appearance yet. So, but I'll be, uh, once he does, I'll, <laughs> I'll, see, I'll see if he talks as much as, as you remember. He's a chatty man. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Rob, from the three of us here, we wish you and Sutton United nothing but the best for the remainder of your campaign. And we thank you for being so frank and so open tonight with us. Thank you. Uh, We'll round things off here by asking you the same question we ask all of our guests who give us an amazing amount of their time and we are so grateful for it. Rob Belson, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? I mean, it's where I first started my sort of senior professional career. Um, And I think that the club that 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 you essentially start your sort of it means a lot. You know, what I mean, that's the first time I've had a sort of a rapport with a fa- with fans and you know walking around the city, sort of chatting to people, enjoying my football, playing in front of big crowds. Uh, no, the club means a lot to me, and every year I always try and get back up. And my fixtures always seem to not fall in line with. Um, with Aberdeen's, unfortunately, but um, I've got Fraser Fivey's wedding this this summer, so I'm I'm sort of really looking forward to coming up and going back to the city, and, and hopefully, if fixtures do go my way, I can get to a game at Pataudry soon. Excellent, great stuff, Rob Milsom, top man. Thanks for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Thanks for having me. So that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 39, where we will review that must-win game with Ross County. Pick over the bones of the regular season and look ahead to our post-split fixtures and where we see our season going before we wrap things up by presenting you with our inaugural ABZ Football Podcast 2021-22 End of Season Awards as voted for by you. Look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.